The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The civilizations of Egypt, Rome, China, the Mongols, the varied nations and empires of Europe, they seem to get the lion's share of attention when it comes to looking at world history. What was going on in the Americas? Was everyone just fumbling through life, trying to figure out how to put two syllables together, just banging rocks together in a cave, hoping for some fire to start? No. Massive advanced civilizations existed that we just don't hear about as much in the English-speaking world with our Eurocentric focus on history. Well, today... We're going to hear plenty about one of these civilizations and a little bit about a few more. But we're mostly talking about the Aztecs. The Aztecs built a vast empire, one that outpaced, outstaged, outpopulated the likes of Paris at the time. They were a powerhouse warrior-based society with a devout religious following and expanding territories. And then Hernan Cortez showed up with 400 soldiers and took them down basically without breaking a sweat, right? That's how the story goes. But was it really that simple? The victors write history, but they weren't the only ones who lived it. Let's try and look at this story from a few more angles today. Let's dig a little deeper. Attempt to find out what really happened. Did Montezuma's bloody and superstitious empire crash at the hands of a few brave conquistadors? Or did a cruel and greedy Cortez show up in the middle of a brewing feud and capitalize on an existing situation he was lucky enough to walk into? Let's find out on today's Civilization Collision Edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Time Suckers. Suck time. Work can wait. It's time to feed your noggin. Have some laughs. Learning is fun. Knowledge is good. And history is one of my favorite teachers. Uh, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. I've, I've always loved that quote, the various variations I've heard of it. Who said it first, you know? Some say Mark Twain. Some say B.F. Skinner. Uh, Whoever said it, uh, thanks. Well played. I like it. We learn from history because mankind repeats uh, its actions over and over. We're capable 
of, uh, of so much, some dark, horrific shit. We're capable of building incredibly powerful civilizations, among so many other things. We're, we're going to touch on, uh, you know, civilizations and horrific shit mostly today. I'm Dan Cummins, the master sucker, and you are listening, of course, to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod, hail Lucifina, praise Bojangles, glory be to Michael motherfucking McDonald. Shit getting too weird for you already, new listener? That's going to get a lot weirder. Time Suck is brought to you today by Amerigas, Bald Eagles, Baseball, Bratwurst, Cold Beer, Bull Riding, Potato Chips. Just a few of the things that go hand in hand with grilling with Amerigas, America in gaseous form. That's my logo for him, not, not theirs. Don't get confused. Get, get your grill on this summer with Amerigas Propane Exchange. Do it on the new free American-made Weber Grill. You've won Thanks to Amerigas and Time Suck. Win it, Time Sucker, win it. Throw some beef on it. Throw some chickens on it. Throw some sea chickens on it. Register to win this grill at mytimesuckgrill.com. Enter your name and email address, and that's it. The contest runs through the 4th of July. Coming up quick. Get that brand new Weber Spirit, too. Get that bad boy, E210. Two burners, propane grill. $400 value for free. And how do you get your meat pots? On some Amerigas, uh, Amerigas right now for the grill you already own, you pick up some propane tanks. It's easy. Local Home Depot, Dollar General Store, so many other stores, so many other stores nationwide. And how do you win that Weber grill? You sign up at mytimesuckgrill.com. The winner will be announced Friday, July 6th, mytimesuckgrill.com. Link in the episode description. Uh, thanks, as always, for the reviews and ratings. Uh, continually spreading the suck. I feel very blessed, truly. Uh, thanks for for helping us build this community. Every solid rating, every review you leave helps so much. Uh, hope some of you enjoyed Behind the Bit, that new uh, Pandora station where Chad Daniels and myself share a bunch of comedy tales, how we met, how we thought up of uh, a lot of our bits, how, uh, how Chad first saw me naked in a hotel hallway. Not kidding. Uh, link to that in today's episode description. It's free. Totally free. Enjoy it. Check it out. Uh, I'm, I'm not home right now. I'm uh, recording this from the past. Time traveling. Um, so, I, so I'm not able to check and see if any uh, gifts have arrived in the Suck Dungeon this week. Again, so so just blessed. Lucky to, to have you guys care, care enough, give a shit enough to send that stuff our way. Uh, you send a lot of cool stuff. Me, me and the fam are in Yellowstone. Me and the Lindsay. Me and the Lindsay. <laughs> me and the kids. And me and the dogs. Penny, Gigi. God, I hope they're not eaten by a bear right now. Uh, it's going to be a very sad fam if that's the truth. If anything has, <laughs> has arrived, thank you. If you want to send anything, send it to Suck Dungeon, P.O. Box 3891, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, 83816. Uh, that'll be in the episode description as well. Tour dates, Flat Earth Tour, coming to Orlando, Florida, quickly. As opposed to some other Orlando. I don't know if there's another one, but I'm not going to be at the other one if there is one. I'm going to be in Florida at the Improv, July 12th to the 14th, masturbating on stage. It's my new act. Solid 45 minutes to an hour, timed to music and to dance. And that's crazy. Now I'll be doing some stand-up. And then I'll be uh, having a live podcast on the 15th with Tom and Dan from Mediocre Time. Then down to SoCal Comedy Store, La Jolla, California, right there by San Diego, July 20 through 22nd. Another great club, Dayton, Ohio, Funny Bone, July 27, 28th. Many more tour dates, live podcast coming up. Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon, you know, Denver. Uh, Colorado, there is another Portland, so I do need to say Oregon there. Portland, Oregon, Denver, Colorado, Tacoma, Washington, Tampa and Palm Beach, Florida, Hollywood, Huntington Beach, California, so much more. Yeah, going to a new place in Huntington Beach for you Orange County listeners. looks fucking dope. 
the rec room, dancommons.tv. And now it's time for a suck on the Aztec Empire. Let's head to Mesoamerica. All right, first things first, a quick historical disclaimer. Due to repeated attempts at cultural genocide, uh, dates and figures regarding this topic have become extraordinarily difficult to verify. Uh, Book burning was uh, rampant. Such a rampant practice during Spanish missionary work that the Aztec histories, lore, documentation, uh, all but entirely destroyed. Uh, And for you historians, yeah, the Aztecs didn't uh, have books in the way we think of them today, but they did have uh, written language. They had narrative maps that recorded their history. We think. Uh, We think they had a lot of those. Hard to say since they're fucking burnt. Spaniards, man. Spaniards. Between what they did to the New World and what they did during the Inquisition, uh, they have almost been as big of a pain in the world's ass as the Germans. Uh, Combine this cultural cover-up with the near-complete physical genocide of the Aztecs that took place in the and the Pickens got pretty goddamn slim when it came to contemporary accounts. Uh, the Spanish recorded their own version of events, but this was, uh, you know, pretty biased. Usually is uh, when it comes to the victor side of, of history being recorded, especially if they're doing a lot of evil shit. Uh, you know, and the sheer volume discrepancies make it clear that a lot of what was uh, recorded between, you know, the Spanish and, and anyone else who wasn't a Spaniard uh, that makes it clear there was you know, a fair amount of propaganda in their recordings. So, you know, you, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. All right. We're going to do our best today with the accounts we do have. Luckily, there's plenty. Still make for a kick-ass story. So let's get started. Hail Nimrod. Uh, when I think of the Aztecs, I think of Azteca. I think of a local northwest chain of Mexican restaurants that is uh, real into cheese, heavy on the cheese. Uh, it's the most American Mexican restaurant ever chain. Not bad, not bad, but way too much cheese. No, I think of, the, uh, I think of a massive and wealthy civilization that Cortez encountered in the 16th century. But of course, they didn't start out that way. They didn't start off with the uh, glory and riches. They started off with a small stand, solid lemonade recipe, better than average hot dogs, lemonade pump, silly hats, a lot of confused looking teens wearing braces, going through rough patches of acne, awkward and a dream. And look at them now. Today, they're the hot dog on a stick national franchise from Montezuma to the Mall of America. A true American success story. Uh, no, sorry about that. Uh, I, I've been doing Nothing but smoking crack, drinking live wire Mountain Dew, and eating expired Pez candies out of an old Dukes of Hazard dispenser uh, I found by a dumpster for five straight days. Bust up my crack! Now, the Aztecs were initially uh, about one of many groups of people who came from the Mexica uh, ethnicity who spoke uh, Nahuatl. Now, I'm going to do my best. Uh, yeah, just another disclaimer uh, for you uh, people really uh, more into pronunciation than other listeners. Oh, oh, shit, it's going to be rough today. Because it's not even, it's not even another language that's, that's, that's commonly used, like Spanish. It's this other uh, Nahuatl and uh, American Indian language that uh, there is not a, a lot of pronunciation info about on the web. Then there's uh, words to cities that were uh, from other civilizations and their languages. <laughs> uh, oh, I have more pronunciation guides in, in my notes for this week than I think in any other suck. Littered with little phonetic spellings. But you know what? That couple days of looking at phonetic spellings doesn't make you a master of, of pronunciation in that language. So I'm going I'm to try hard. So, yeah, they came from a Mexica uh, ethnicity who spoke uh, Nahuatl. They fiercely believed that they descended from greater people than themselves. In fact, they believed that they actually came from uh, Aztlan, a mythical place similar to Atlantis in belief, where all Nahuatl-speaking peop- uh, people came from. Atlantis, man, great. More Atlantis wackadoodles. 
Now, it made sense to believe that shit back then. Maybe they're related to uh, Bojangles, right? The Great Battle of Atlantis is where, you know, uh, legend says, at least one legend, there's a variety of legends around Bojangles, that uh, says that our mighty Pitbull mascot, the defender of the suck, the opposer of communism, lost an eye and a leg in an epic battle with Zeus. Another legend says that the Aztecs worshipped Bojangles. Uh, you know, the, the Bojangles was who they sacrificed their people to, and that Nimrod became angry and banished Bojangles. And banished him to, and forced him to spend an inordinate amount of time with Triple M. And that Nimrod uh, crushed the Aztecs uh, despite their last-ditch sacrifice of uh, thousands of Cocker Spaniels. Hail Nimrod! And, and I'm back. Ignore everything I've said since I talked about Bojangles uh, being from Atlantis, if you're a new listener. Before jumping into a proper Aztec timeline telling their tale, let me give you a skeleton outline for human history in the Americas. Let's pound out some of that sweet, sweet context, baby. When did people first show up in any part of the Americas. Was it 1905? That doesn't sound right. No, based on uh, available archaeological evidence, sometime between 30,000 BCE and 24,000 BCE is when humans showed up in the New World. Like really, really New World. Like shiny, still mint in the box New World. Not one piece of litter, not one candy wrapper, not one used condom in a parking lot, not even one parking lot. Uh, Archaeological finds in Siberia near the Bering Strait that separates Russia from Alaska by about 50 miles place ancient humans living in that area by at least as far back as 30,000 BCE. And and the most recent ice age peaked uh, around 18,000 years ago and lasted until about 12,000 years ago. And the patch from Siberia to Alaska was frozen solid. Uh, The Bering Strait froze over and became a land bridge allowing people from northeastern Asia into northwestern North America What a terrible journey that must have been. Thousands of years ago, long before portable heaters, long before anything close to modern conveniences, some little tribe of people walking across 50 miles of pure ice. Some brave early explorers or or maybe some people who were really bad with ancient directions. Maybe they had their stars mixed up. Maybe America was settled because, uh, you know, some ancient leader took one too many rights on his way to some Siberian fucking festival, some cave or some shit. Maybe they made it to America by accident, just like Columbus did. Well, they made it. However they made it, they made it. On the Alaska-Yukon territory border, on the America side of the strait, you know, a ways into the America side, in the bluefish caves, radiocarbon dating has found uh, the oldest evidence of human life in the Americas so far. Some human remnants were discovered from 24,000 years ago. And then over the next several thousand years, some of these people, a.k.a. these meat sacks, they got really tired of living in a frozen, barren, shitty wasteland. Sorry if you live in northern Canada, but you know how much your life is fucking terrible. It's a terrible fucking wasteland without modern dwellings, without really good gas and electric heaters. They didn't even have snowmobiles. And they were like, ah, fuck this. Let's, 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 let's head south. Come on. Let's get out of here. What are we doing? And then, uh, and then some of them showed up in the area of present-day Mexico, uh, where the Aztecs would later flourish around 13,000 BCE. And then some, of, uh, some of them kept on moving south. Over the next millennium, they spread out over the rest of the Americas, ancient nomadic people. They made it all the way to Chile. Chile by around 12,000 BCE. And then thousands of years later, they evolved from nomadic hunter-gatherers into true civilizations, mastering irrigation and agriculture, creating architecture and artwork, moving from huts and farms into urban centers where not everyone had to fish or hunt or grow crops or raise babies. That's how you move from hunter-gatherer to civilization, right? Urbanization, right? Specialization. Now people can specialize in shit. Not everybody has to, you know, grab some fucking fish to keep their family alive. Not everyone has to... uh, I can stab a wolverine with a with a spear or a knife or or have to sneak up on a bear with a rock. Some people could now be soldiers. Others could be ba- masons, shopkeepers, artists, temple priests, variety of other roles. Some people uh, were able to start really disappointing their families and becoming uh, jugglers and magicians. 
sorry, that was a, that was a cheap, unnecessary shot at jugglers and magicians. Uh, so when did the first civilization show up? Around around three thousand BC, maybe, possibly. You know, that's that's what we know now. The first true civilization that we know of showed up in the Americas in present day Peru, predating the very beginnings of ancient Greece by by around a thousand years. The Coral Supe civilization, the Trojan War, uh, believed to have happened around twelve fifty CE. We're talking uh, or BCE, excuse me. Uh, we're talking about three thousand BCE. Uh, ruins of the Coral Supe civilization were initially discovered in 1905, but no one knew who the ruins belonged to or how old it was until as recently as 2000. It seems that uh, people living there uh, might have also been some lighthearted Swedes. No trace of warfare has been found at uh, at uh, Coral. No battlements, no weapons, no mutilated bodies. You know, the remains of mutilated bodies. Archaeologists' findings suggest it was a gentle society built on commerce and pleasure. In one of the temples, they uncovered 32 flutes. Oh, man, so many flutes made out of condor and pelican bones. And 37 cornets, cornets of uh, deer and llama bones. Cornets are a early wind instrument, uh, popular in medieval times, uh, uh, across the pond as well, where sound is produced by lip vibrations against a cup mouthpiece. And you know what? I, I knew I was missing something in my life, but I didn't know what it was until today. Turns out what I've always wanted is a condor flute. If anyone listening gives a shit about me, you will quickly kill a condor and whittle a fucking flute out of its bones. Get to fucking whittling. I'm not going to be greedy. I'm not going to ask for a llama cornet. I don't even care about that. Guys, I don't even, I don't even think I can learn how to play it. But I would like, I would really like a condor flute. It's, it's all I've ever wanted. It's all I've ever wanted. Uh, please don't kill a condor. I'm pretty sure they're highly endangered. <laughs> that would be... Uh, I can't ask, but that would, no, please don't do that. But I was just thinking, flashing, like if I went to the post office and there was like just a fucking one big box that just had a, like a condor, condor carcass missing a few bones and then another box with a, with a new bony flute. Uh, that would be, I can't, have, I can't ask, I don't want that to happen. But if it did happen, possibly greatest day of my life. Okay, little else known currently about this culture. Other than they built some pretty badass, impressive stone structures. And then a bunch of other civilizations started springing up, like the like the Moshi. Moshi people made a lot of uh, interesting pottery. A lot of dudes with giant dicks. Uh, people engaged in a variety of sexual situations that have nothing to do with reproduction. Ancient people getting it on. Hey, Lucifina. <laughs> but seriously, do yourself a favor and Google Peru erotic pottery. It's great. It is very entertaining. Uh, the dicks are bigger than the dudes. I'm not. I'm not joking. A lot of the sculptures. There's no time or need to get into all of the, the different cultures that were uh, around at this time. Uh, but in the in the area of present day Mexico, where the uh, Aztecs would later live, the Olmecs are thought to be the first currently uh, big civilization. The Olmecs first appeared along the Atlantic coast in what is uh, now the state of Tabasco in the period 1500 to 1900 uh, BCE, and uh, and they invented. Some pretty spicy sauce, and they started to put that shit on some fried eggs. It's delicious. No, I don't think they have anything to do with Tabasco sauce. Uh, the Olmecs were the, were the first Mesoamerican culture to produce an identifiable artistic and cultural style. May have also invented writing in Mesoamerica. Hard to say, again, uh, since a lot of shit had, ended up getting destroyed by later dickhead explorers, misguided priests. Uh, the Olmec civilization flourished between 500 BCE, 800 uh, CE on the Gulf Coast of Mexico. And uh, constructed the first stone pyramids. Uh, they constructed the first stone pyramids in uh, the North American continent. Uh, they had their famous uh, stone baby-faced head monuments. The, the original creepy dolls. 
Uh, the Olmecs had kings, built enormous pyramids, invented the Mesoamerican ball game, the oldest sport in the Americas, and a sport that would later be played by the Aztecs. This shit is weird. Uh, we don't know for sure how this game was played. You know, if there was a, a official guide, a rule book, it got burnt. Um, evidence suggests that a, a wide variety of ball games were played. Uh, all somewhat similar. There's like you can go if you see, visit the ruins of a lot of these ancient pyramids and cities. There's like there's still courts. The courts are still there where they would play this game. Uh, the most widespread version apparently was that was the hip game, and I swear I'm not making this up. It took me a long time to try and get my head around this. It was played by two opposing teams with a variable number of players. The aim of the game was to put the ball in the opponent's end zone without using hands or feet. Sometimes they'd have to put the ball through like this little, kind of like a little tiny uh, hole, like a very small hole. They have to throw it through. The, the article on it I found says that only hips could touch the ball, which I can't. I can't even wrap my head around. Because like, what if the ball's on the ground rolling around? How the, how, the, how the shit do you move it with your hip? The ball, a little nine-pound uh, ditty made out of hard rubber, uh, was actually never supposed to touch the ground. But we don't know, you know what the rule was if it did touch the ground. But we do know a few horrific things about it. The game was scored in you know, different point systems. Again, no, no direct uh, counts. The precise, but, but we know it was rough. We know that they had pads. We, it was violent and dangerous. It was played on an unforgiving stone court. Uh, people wore uh, protective gear that included, like, uh, leather helmets, knee pads, arm and chest protectors, and gloves. And sometimes it got real violent, and this is why I thought it was worth bringing up. Uh, like when the Aztecs would play it. Uh, oftentimes when the Aztecs would play it, the losing team would be murdered. Or sacrificed, as they called it. Seriously, they would get their heads cut off. Uh, among the Aztec, uh, decapitation was a frequent end for the losing team. Man, you're going to fucking play hard. Right? No, you're not. You're not saving it for the next game when you're when uh, decapitation. You're you're shooting for a blowout, right? You're 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 uh, you're diving for loose balls. You are diving for loose balls if you know uh, that you will literally lose your head if if you don't win the game, right? How how are you supposed to get a proper rivalry going? By the way, if every team you beat gets their heads cut off. Uh, supposedly, the game was played between different factions uh, having some sort of dispute, and the game would be played in place of actual warfare. Uh, so, you know, instead of war, it's like we do this game, and then the losing team dies. Uh, tough tough time to be a skilled athlete. That's not a team you want to be picked for. Playing to the death. Uh, in lighter news, the Olmecs domesticated uh, the uh, cacao tree. They gave us chocolate. Thank you, Olmecs. You just became my favorite culture. Uh, man, I love chocolate. Go ahead, go ahead, chocolate. Rob my teeth out. I'll have new ones put in and get right back to, uh, to uh, grinding up your, your sweet, sweet candy. Now, quick note about the Mayans. The longest-running American civilization was the Maya civilization, occupying much of uh, Central North America, uh, the Central North American continent. Based on the, uh, on, they were based in like on the Gulf Coast of what is now Mexico between sometime or between 2500 BCE in its earliest forms and lasting until around 1500 CE. So long run, kind of. You know, they, they reached their height around 600 CE. They fell apart for reasons not entirely clear around 900 CE. And then they kind of straggled on for a few more centuries in fragmented form, you know. They weren't like a, a, a unified empire, you know, so to speak. They were a complex group of independent city-states, which shared cultural qualities, such as their amazing uh, complex artwork. Uh, they had murals, uh, advanced drinking water collection system. Constructed amazing pyramids that remain in fairly good uh, condition to this day. Around 890 uh, CE, the Mayans produced the first book in the Americas. Priests, priests burned so many. There may have been older ones, but we'll probably never know about them. Uh, so annoying. We can't get those books back, man. They stole history from us. Uh, w- uh, one more culture we'll touch on briefly before the Aztecs, a culture that the Aztecs may have morphed out of, uh, one they were really big fans of, the Toltecs. Um, 
the to- from 800 to 1200 CE, there were the Toltecs, a culture uh, just uh, prior to the Aztecs, who- whom the Aztecs revered greatly. The Toltec Empire covered most of what is now southern Mexico and stretched a bit further south into what is uh, now Guatemala and Belize. They built an impressive capital at Talan, about 50 miles north of Mexico City. Uh, you can find plenty of pictures online. Pretty damn impressive, man. They passed on a lot of their customs and craftsmanship to the Aztecs, who regarded the Toltecs as a great and prosperous civilization. The Aztecs would claim descent from this great civilization. And, and we don't know how much of that is true because, uh, you know, the Aztecs were real big into mythology, kind of weaving truth into stories. Um, so we don't know how much is legend. They like, like to merge everything, you know, kind of like the Greeks did with the Trojan War. You know, war may have happened. Probably happened, but it certainly didn't happen like they said it did. They weren't actually fighting with gods. Uh, The capital at Talon was certainly impressive. Uh, This part is backed by more than legends, backed by archaeology. The city grew to 14 square kilometers or over 8 square miles in size, acquired a population between 30 and 40,000. The Talon of Aztec mythology were renowned for sumptuous palaces, awe-inspiring buildings made out of gold, jade, turquoise, quetzal feathers. I'm I'm guessing those were added on to the outside of the wall. It'd be fucking pretty impressive if you could build a palace made out of nothing but quetzal feathers. Ah, that'd be a fragile palace. The city was also thought to have been flooded with uh, wealth generated by the gifted Toltec craftsmen, highly skilled in metallurgy, pottery, so much so that their potters were said to have taught the clay to lie. Make that clay lie, baby. Make it it do the impossible. Uh, Later, Aztec metalworkers and jewelers will be known as Tolteca. The Toltecs are also credited with mastering nature, producing huge maize crops, natural colored cotton of red, yellow, green, and blue. Cool. How the fuck did he do that? Uh, unsurprisingly, following centuries of looting and cultural destruction, no artifacts survived to attest to this material wealth, except indications that Toltecs did do a lot of trade with obsidian because uh, it was mined nearby and they found some of that. Um, the ar- archaeological site of uh, Talon, sitting on a limestone promontory, uh, although not quite as splendid as the legend, does have an impressive number of surviving monuments, two large pyramids, colonnaded walkway, large palace building, two ball courts, uh, four, uh, working elevators, four working, uh, hydraulic elevators, uh, they go up 10 stories, buttons and everything. It's fucking crazy. That's not true. Can you imagine if you just like, <laughs> you just walked into this, how, how just, how that would just blow your mind? Like what in the fuck? Like everything you thought you knew would be called into question. If like, uh, you're some archeologist, you go into an old ruin and all of a sudden there's like a fucking snack machine and an elevator, like a metal elevator in the middle of a ruin. Uh, again. I should probably, I should, I, again, just remember, five days, smoke and crack. Uh, no, they had domestic housing arranged in groups of uh, up to five flat-roofed residences with each group uh, centered on a courtyard, single altar, whole thing surrounded by a wall. What, what ended the Toltec civilization's regional dominance? Another unknown. A lot of unknowns with the uh, American civilizations. Why did they end? We don't know. <laughs> with most of them, we don't know. Uh, they may have simply disintegrated when put under the strain of such natural phenomena as a sustained drought. Uh, it could have been an internal disputes may have led to a breakup of the power structure in the mid 12th century CE Talon shows signs of violent destruction. Could have been a war. Just, you know, we don't have records of architectural columns and statues burnt purposely buried. The site was systematically looted by the Aztecs later. And, uh, so what other cultures existed around Mexico, uh, when the Aztecs were around, who, who did they compete, trade and fight with too many to name. And, uh, you know, and, uh, a lot of them will just kind of pop up. In the suck organically, you know, we, we will touch on a few. I think I said with that last one was done, but no, we, we do want to touch on a few that were around while the Aztecs were around. The biggest other two players in, in Mesoamerica were still the Mayan culture that while not on its peak still existed to the south of the Aztecs. And then to the north was the massive Tarascan civilization. 
Uh, you know, they, they don't show up really in, in the story of Cortez and the Aztecs, but uh, Cortez would then conquer them after he conquered the Aztecs. And they were, you know, some trade was done. They were like a huge empire just uh, that bordered them. Second only to the Aztec Empire in terms of size in the 14th and 15th centuries. Tarascans themselves controlled from their capital of uh, Tezunsan, an empire of over 45,000 square miles. The Aztecs, by comparison, would end up controlling roughly 80,000 square miles. Uh, the, the Tarascan capital and largest settlement uh, at Tezunsan, Tezunsan, on the northeast arm of Lake uh, Pascuaro, uh, the Tarascans uh, controlled through highly cent- centralized and hierarchical, 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 goddammit, hierarchical, ah, fucking whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. For some reason, that word just doesn't want to come out of my mouth right now. They had a political system with a hierarchy attached to it, uh, some 90 plus cities around the lake. By 1522 CE, the population of the basin was as high as 80,000, while uh, Tezunsan uh, had a population of about 35,000. Hierarchical, I think. The capital, motherfucker. The capital was the administrative, commercial, and religious center of the Tarascan Empire, seat of the king. Extensive irrigation, terracing projects were carried out in order to make such a large population sustainable on local agriculture. But significant imports of goods and material uh, you know, remained in necessity, and they did that as well. They had a network of local markets, system of tributes. Ensure there was a sufficient uh, quantity of basic goods. They had pottery, shells, metals, gold and silver ingots, labor, busy marketplaces, fruit, vegetables, flowers, tobacco, prepared food, craft goods, raw materials such as obsidian, copper, and bronze alloys, bought and sold. They mined, they smelted silver and gold. You know, uh, they had, you know, they had a bustling civilization. They had, they had palaces. Uh, they had, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff going on. All kinds of stuff going on. They, uh, they made a lot of uh, copper alloy bells using ceremonial dances and uh, had their own distinctive architectural style, religion, and art. And, uh, yeah, and there was a few other, you know, civilizations and city-states that would come up, that will come up, again, as we march to the Aztec timeline. Shit was happening in Mesoamerica. That's all I'm trying to establish. Shit was happening. There was a lot going on. A lot of different cultures that we don't know enough about, but we do know they were there. And uh, in the land of present-day Mexico and Central America. And now let's talk about the Aztecs specifically. Aztec translates as uh, people of... Aztlan, according to uh, Diego Duran, one of the founders of the uh, influential uh, uh, new wave band Duran Duran, uh, no, he was a Dominican friar who moved to the area in 1540 when he was five years old. Aztlan translates to the place of white birds. So I guess uh, Aztec means the people of the place of the white birds, which to me sounds like a nation uh, created by and for magicians, right? Uh, Friar, Friar Duran recorded a great deal of information about the Aztecs in his document, The Annals of Tlatelolco, uh, which is currently housed in the National Library of France in Paris and is one of the few remaining texts with firsthand accounts of their culture. And uh, we, you know, we, we used information from that annals in, in today's suck. Legend holds that the Aztec came from this place in caves of, of the hollow earth with six other tribes. And there's no way I'm going to even try the names of the six other tribes. I didn't even, I erased them from my notes to, you know, to, so I wouldn't even try. <laughs> it was ridiculous. No pronunciation, no pronunciation guides for any of them. Aztec is by far the easiest of the words. Most of them would have, you know, like seven consonants in a row. It looked like strung together. And then according to legend, the seven tribes wandered earth together from around 1100 to 1300 until the other tribes decided to migrate south and the Aztecs chose to remain in the north. And this could all be written off as legend or lore, but there is some interesting uh, etymo- etty- etymo- etymological motherfucker. Etymological evidence linking uh, Nahuatl, the Aztec language, and languages spoken by the Hopi, Pima, and the Utes. I like that one. I like the Utes. 
I can I nail Utes. Some words I struggle with, but Utes, oh, home run every time. Just like batting practice, pop, just out, up, out of the, out again, up in the upper deck. The Utes are actually from uh, Utah, and the language tree stretches all the way from Idaho and Montana to northern central Mexico. Still spoken by about 1.5 million people in central and western Mexico. That's pretty damn cool. They all share the, uh, the, the Udo as tech and language tree. Wherever they were at this time, the legend uh, goes on to say that they found Aslan on a large island in the middle of the Lake of the Moon, set up camp, living there happily for quite some time until others moved in and wanted to enslave them. Uh, additional accounts say that it was a natural disaster that sent them south. Uh, climate studies show there was an extensive drought at that time. The Aztec became a nomadic tribe, working their way south over 200 years, supposedly guided by a deity called, and this is a big one, called Huitzilopochtli. Uh, uh, Huitzilopochtli. Uh, yeah, you, you, you give that one a shot. The Aztec god of war, the sun and human sacrifice, who later became the patron god of their great city of Tenochtitlan. Uh, by the time they made it to the Valley of Mexico, where the history says uh, the six other tribes had traveled to centuries past, the area was well populated and established. The Aztec were walking into a pseudo-urban area of diverse tribal influence and interaction, looking like some, some backwoods hillbillies. They were uncultured, poor, savage by comparison, according to the description put forth uh, by Professor Edwin Barnhart in Chapter 33 of his lecture series, Maya to Aztec. Uh, one of the other groups, the Tepanex, there we go, Tepanex, there we go. One of the other groups, the Tepanex, allowed the Aztecs to settle and stay uh, granting them uh, Chapultepec, or the Grasshopper Hill, that was located on the western shore of Lake Texcoco, uh, which is now the, now Central Park in Mexico City. Uh, the Tapanex were one of the largest groups in the area, but they did little to ingratiate themselves to the Tapanex, uh, who quickly tired of them and kicked them out in less than a year's time. And again, this is, this is all legend stuff. They didn't pay their tributes. Uh, they were considered uncultured and annoying, and then the Aztecs moved south, and they take refuge with their previous landlord's enemy, the... Uh, Kulawakan, uh, who gave them Tizapan, a barren land to live and work on. And again, according to legend, the Aztecs were forced to subsist on mostly, quote, rats and lizards during this time, <laughs> which sounds uh, to me like one of the worst diets I've ever heard of. Like, like if there was a restaurant called Mostly Rats and Lizards, I would never eat there. I would never eat there. Uh, I would go there. I would go there to have a few drinks because the people watching would be off the chart's great. I'd be very curious to see who is dining at, you know, mostly rats and lizards. In my mind, their menu literally just has three items on it. It has rats, has lizards, and it has french fries. French fries is how the mostly fits in. So they can be like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, most, it's mostly rats and lizards, but we also have french fries. Uh, anyway, the Aztec priest told their people they shouldn't complain about the rats and lizards. They should be happy to take the dirty work others cast aside, trust their God. We, we see Lope Patli, and so uh, they ate those fucking rats. They ate those lizards for 20 years. And slowly and surely, the Aztecs intermarried with the Kulawakan and fully joined their society. Things were looking good. They were incorporating some corn and some fish and some shit into their lizard rat diet. Then things got messed up again. And since the rest of their legend starts to involve specific people and actual dates and, and, somewhat, and starts to sound somewhat legit and not like truth wrapped in legend— or just entirely legend. Let's let's hop into today's into today's time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. All right, thirteen twenty three C E. Let's get into it. 
With some Aztecs rising in the social and political ranks of the Kulawakan, uh, you know, empire, uh, Achimetl, the ruler of the Kulawakan, uh, he offers his daughter for marriage to an Aztec leader in 1323. And then the Aztecs, uh, they're honored, they're very thankful, and so they want to show their immense gratitude, and, uh, and so they kill her. Yep, this is, this is the official story. And, it, and if you're thinking, like I did the first time I heard it, that sounds like complete nonsense. I No, I get it. But I do believe it after what I learned that we're going to all learn later about the Aztecs. They loved to sacrifice people, like really into it, like the most into it of any culture I've ever read about by leaps and bounds. They were, they were a terrifying people when it came to their love of human sacrifice. Uh, they believed that sacrifice was the ultimate way to get closer to the gods, to appease them. And, and Aztec, uh, Aztec uh, regularly sacrificed people, also regularly, uh, regularly practiced self-mutilation. In order to commit kind of like a like a, like a sacrifice light, so uh, you know, with the other culture, with the uh, uh, Kulawakans, they they were not as into it, and they weren't you know like real excited about their the ruler's daughter getting killed. They weren't like terribly happy about it. Um, but but again, <laughs> but again, you know the the Aztecs they uh, they thought it was great. So um, they they thought they were doing an honorable and normal thing. They, they, you know, when, when uh, Akimetl uh, offered his daughter for marriage to a, to a mere human, they decided like, hey, we'll do you, we'll, we'll make it even better and we'll sacrifice her to the gods. And then now she's an eternal goddess. Now she, she's a goddess now. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, Akimetl didn't quite see it that way. And, uh, and on what had, check this out, <laughs> this is intense. On what had likely been a normal day for him up, into, um, up until this point, he sees one of the Aztec priests. He's just given his daughter for marriage. Now he's going to go visit her. And then he sees one of the Aztec priests, again, I'm not making this up, wearing her flayed skin, literally, <laughs> literally wearing her skin at a festival dinner. And he naturally lost his goddamn mind and he threw all of them out of the territory. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, this really happened. He must have wanted to kill them all. Can you, can you even imagine meeting, <laughs> meeting your daughter's new in-laws for the first time? And then finding like one of them or a friend of one of theirs or, you know, some religious person they know <laughs> wearing her fucking skin. I laughed. I know I'm still laughing. I laughed so hard when I read this because it's just so ridiculous. It's so over the top, especially since they had like a like, yeah, you're welcome. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. We did it. She's got us now. Like they had this like, like you should be thankful kind of attitude. Like, you know what? What, what the hell are you wearing? Oh, good news. Ah, good news. I'm glad you asked. I'm wearing, I'm wearing your daughter's skin. Hey, she's married to a god now. How cool is that, huh? <laughs> Man, I got to shake your hand. I got to shake your hand. I just got to tell you, uh, I am truly honored to be wearing your daughter's skin. <laughs> I hope that she's looking down from heaven right now, watching me wear her. It's, uh, it's so great. So they banish the Aztecs, uh, <laughs> who find refuge with the Tapenex, uh, who are probably loving the whole skin daughter situation if gossip worked back then like it does now. Did you fucking hear why they're back? Now they fucking wore skin. Now I know they're crazy. They're the they're the craziest. Oh, <laughs> the Aztec priests tell their people, um, "Hey, you know our day's coming. We're not going to have to live with anybody pretty soon. You know, you claim through a vision now that our promised land will be marked by an eagle sitting on a cactus, holding a snake in his mouth." Now this Aztec image is used in the center of the Mexican flag today. Uh, how about that trivia? Little, little Aztec nod in the flag while waiting for the sign. They became warriors uh, for the Tepanix. Tepanex, uh, joined in active fighting against the, the Kulawakans. Nearly two years later, their god, uh, Huitzilopochtli, 
showed them their final destination, as promised, right? They showed them the promised land. Unfortunately, it happened to be in the middle of a lake on a remarkably tiny and marshy island. But they were like, you know what? Fuck it. I know this is not the ideal place to build a city, but at least we are not eating mostly uh, rats and lizards still. 1325 CE, the Aztecs, they trust their priests, their faith, their gods, and they begin to build uh, Tenochtitlan. The very end of the episode, I will reference this, uh, maybe not. Maybe they didn't do this. This is according to their history. Might not be true. Probably not as true, actually. You have to wait for the time sucker, uh, the top five takeaways, actually, to, to, to get that info. Uh, they continued to pay their tributes to the Tapenek while they slaved away to build their city. Uh, they were, you know, they, they started to, somebody, them or somebody else started to, you know, literally built land on a lake, you know, made man-made islands by piling earth in shallow lake beds and small rectangular areas, that, you know, to use, to be used as gardens. Uh, and this part, whether or not the, the Aztecs did or not, this, this did exist as I'm describing it. There was, uh, these little floating gardens. Um, yeah, crazy. Uh, they were, they were just turned a marsh into a city. Uh, they began to be, become very wealthy. They would uh, fight tirelessly for the Tapenex, expand uh, their territory, stockpile their own wealth. 1350s, the entire region is divided into city-states. They were each individually ruled and governed for the most part. They uh, all shared similar beliefs, traded well amongst each other. You know, um, oh, they did fight quite a bit. The, the, the uh, Tlacopans, or, or excuse me, Tlacopan, city-state governed by the Tapenex. There was uh, Texcoco ruled by the Kulha tribe. Uh, the Aztecs, uh, you know, they were still paying tribute to the Tepanex when uh, the uh, Atzapolzaco city-state took over in 1418. The uh, Azcapolzaco grew and gained power quickly, demanding higher tributes from the smaller city-states, including the Aztecs, so they rebelled. In the late 1420s, the, the Aztec leader, Itzcoatl, uh, forged a powerful alliance with two other city-states, Texcoco and Tlacopan, creating the Triple Alliance. And, uh, and they kicked the uh, Azcapolzaco's uh, ass, right? Uh, they, they put an end to their rule. 1473, the alliance conquers the entire basin. They have an overwhelming military force, predominantly led by the warrior might of the Aztecs. And then eventually the Aztecs realize that uh, if we have all the soldiers, why are we in an alliance? And, uh, you know, they do some quick math. They come up to the conclusion that uh, we should just fucking run everything. And that's what they do. First, they move away from the uh, Tlacopan. Um, they were a smaller power, kind of easy to deal with. So they, they, uh, they get rid of that part of the alliance. And then the Texcocos, they were, they were, uh, tougher, tougher to, uh, move away from. They were independent, powerful state of their own. And, uh, they just kind of leave them alone, right? They're just like, Hey, we're not going to work with you anymore, but we're not going to attack you. And, uh, and now they have their own empire. And in addition to the other, uh, bigger empires during the time of the Aztecs, there were small, you know, kind of various tribes also living around little city states here and there, little patches of uh, groups of people living in the jungle here and there. The, some of this may seem confusing because the land wasn't carved out into obvious national boundaries like it like it was in Europe at this time. You know, like this city would belong to these people. Uh, this city would be independent, but they would have to pay tribute to those people. And then they were, you know, then they would fight and rebel and they wouldn't pay tribute. Then they'd get taken over again. Then another group of people would kind of take them over. You know, it was a constant state of flux. And I know in Europe also uh, things were in a state of flux, but even more so here. You know, it was just really kind of scattered. And yes, they had this territory, but it's not like they had like firm boundaries and, and everybody was was totally uh, locked into being part of the culture. Um, but they were they were when Cortez would show up, they were the most militarily powerful uh, empire in, in the area. So now let's pause the uh, timeline. Talk a little bit about this, uh, or talk a, you know more in depth about this this jewel city, this Tenochtitlan, 
this uh, true true jewel of Mesoamerica. It's the, it's the city that would morph later into Mexico City. At the, this is pretty incredible. At the peak of Aztec power, uh, Tenochtitlan, phenomenal by global standards. And Paris had 150,000 people. They had 200,000. And, and they were, you know, living in a, in a true urban city, uh, a capital that made many of Europe's cities look like uh, dirty, plague-infested shitholes. By 1519... Uh, Tenochtitlan uh, had beautiful, precisely constructed water aqueducts. And, and this we know because this is recorded by the uh, Spanish conquistadors. I don't know why they would have, you know, have to lie. And this corroborates what the uh, indigenous people were also saying. Uh, they had zoos, historical museum, aquarium, massive marketplace, uh, marketplaces, exotic gardens built on top of a lake. In 1520, you know, uh, Spanish conquistador Hernan Cortes wrote the following to Holy Roman Emperor Charles V saying to give an account of the greatness and the strange and marvelous things of this great city of Tenochtitlan and of all the dominions and splendor of Montezuma, its sovereign of all the rights and customs, which these people practice and of the order prevailing in the government, not only of this city, but also of others belonging to this Lord, much time and very many expert narrators would be required. It's like there's a lot going on. And then he goes on to talk about, he compares it to Venice describing his beautiful temples uh, the largest of which Cortez estimated could house 500 people. Uh, if you could visit it, if you go back and take a time machine to it, you'd find a city filled with canals like Venice. You'd find farmers and merchants, boats, as well as comfortable roadways to travel by. There was four primary areas of the city, 20 smaller districts. They each had their own distinct bloodlines and tribes. Uh, each of them had uh, its own marketplace, you know, temple, school. Poor section of town where the farmers lived, you'd find little thatched roof huts, uh, well-maintained personal gardens. Half-naked dudes paddling canoes. No need for much clothes. The weather's great. Mexico City, man. Uh, the, the weather is lows in the 40s and 50s Fahrenheit uh, year-round and, and highs in the 70s and 80s. Uh, the city had three major causeways running through it, each wide enough to accommodate 10 travelers riding side-by-side side on horses. As Cortez would find out, they had drawbridges, they had floating raft-like islands and farms. They had a canal system that kept water constantly moving so it didn't get overrun with mosquitoes. They had a 10-mile-long wall surrounding part of the city that uh, helped keep uh, clean water available to citizens. Uh, yep, they would uh, uh, get their water from springs, their fresh water to actually drink. There was uh, terracotta and stone pipes running through the length of canals, bringing running water into houses for cooking and bathing. They had street vendors selling old-school uh, bottled water. Seriously, I had no idea this was saying. I'm not making this up. Uh, they had spring water that would be sold in terracotta containers. How fucking crazy is that? You find a street vendor... Had street vendors around, you know, get something to drink. There was restaurants, other street vendors selling everything from jewelry to tamales. They had tamale stands. They had, uh, you know, people selling slaves, like uh, most of the uh, ancient world. They had uh, a tole, a tole, actually, uh, a delicious chocolatey drink mixed with uh, maize powder, kind of like a, like a light pudding. They had street performers, all kinds of, you know, people buying stuff around. The giant pyramid near the city center, 16 stories high, covered in lime plaster, painted in spectacular hues of red and blue. Made up of four sloped terraces, passage connecting each level, uh, platform, you know, resting atop. That's uh, 262 by 328 feet. Big ass platform up there. Two sets of stairs leading up to two different shrines. One's for uh, Tlaloc, the god of water. The other's for that, uh, uh, we see Lop Pachli, uh, their, their main god. The, the, they had these uh, balustrades made in the forms of massive snakes. Each uh, set of stairs, any with a serpent's head at the base, you know, you could be marveling at this site, knowing you could never make it to the top and expect to come back down because uh, it was mostly for priests who were uh, sacrificing people. That was the, <laughs> there was, uh, you know, um, oh, yeah, just very, very ornate. 
near the temple, a temple used for human sacrifices, yeah, to appease the Aztec gods. There's a, also a large uh, like cylinder kind of structure of, of skulls. It's funny, up until this point when I was reading about the description, it's like, oh, man, if I had a time machine, I would love to go back and like check all this out. It's like this beautiful splendor, this ancient shopping, getting some of that fucking old ancient pudding, you know, maybe going around on a boat, just hanging out. And then you get to the, the human sacrifice part. You're like, oh, no, I would never go there. This, this one gets dark, you know. Uh, next to the temple is this big, you know, uh, yeah, cylinder-type structure of, of hundreds and hundreds of human skulls stacked and cemented together with lime. How dark is that? More than 650 skulls. You know, I, you know, I guess, I guess it's dark, you know, whatevs, you know. I, uh, I, maybe I have a skull cylinder in my yard. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something I, I put in there to match my femur hammock. Yeah, maybe I have a hammock made out of human femurs. Not comfortable, hard and lumpy, but cool to look at. Uh, man, no, seriously, a cylinder of skulls. That is creepy as shit. Uh, there was Montezuma's castle. A zoo on site for Montezuma's entertainment. Hundreds of zookeepers attended to bears, jungle cats. Lots of different kind of birds, monkeys, sloths, deer. Some of the uh, just other animals, you know, some of the animals are raised for viewing. Some are raised uh, for food. An eating zoo. Why don't, we, why don't we get some of those? Head on over, look at the monkeys, and then pick out a panda to eat. Sweet panda meat. I wonder how tender and delicious that lazy, worthless bear's flesh is. I bet, I bet panda is delicious. Anyway. The grounds are cultivated, gardens of spectacular wonder, lush foliage, beautiful exotic flowers, ancient artifacts believed to be from the Olmecs and Toltecs adorning the space, carefully tended to and maintained. Quite a city. This is what Cortez would walk into. Let's, uh, let's continue with our pause in the time, timeline to talk about Aztec culture a bit. What kind of culture is going on in this city? Slaves are bought and commonly sold in Aztec culture. Uh, unlike slavery in colonial America, not racial, anyone could end up becoming a slave. You break the law, accrue too much debt. Already be a foreign captive, uh, uh, you know, get sold into slavery by your family to help make uh, ends meet. And, you know, ta-da, you're a slave. Some even went into servitude willingly because slaves were able to accrue money, have holidays off. They were allowed to marry, have kids. Uh, you know, they were going to be fed and housed, treated somewhat humanely by their by their owners. Uh, and additionally, their, their kids would not be slaves. The kids would not be considered property. Everyone was born free in Aztec culture. Uh, if you were a house slave for a wealthy family, you know, life was actually pretty good by ancient standards. However, uh, if you ended up getting sold to a priest, yeah, life is going to take a, a bad turn. A good chance you're going to end up as a human sacrifice. Uh, most members of the Aztec community were common farmers. Speculated that roughly 95% of the population, commoners of some sort, farmers, craftsmen, artisans, all the men in the common caste, regardless of trade, were required to spend time in the military, trained for battle starting at a young age. Uh, within the common caste, you could, as a soldier, increase your social standing by bringing back more live captives than your allies uh, did, you know, to your city. This, this is going to come back to haunt them. We'll touch on this at the very end of the episode. They had, a, they had an interesting warfare style. They were more interested in taking captives than they were in killing their enemy, and that, that fighting technique would, would haunt them uh, when it came to the Spaniards. Not, uh, not as good of a fighting technique as just trying to kill your enemies, as it turns out. Common, uh, common women cared for the home, raised children, cooked and made textiles. Girls and boys went to separate schools. Commoners had small open homes, little one-room structures without windows, no entrance. Four or five families of the same bloodline would live in the same area, all sharing the same open patio. Little dome structure for a sweat bath also had a kind of similar to a sauna that would be used for rituals, cleansing, and childbirth. Uh, there was the middle class that was made up of traveling merchants who would also uh, be spies for the king. The king had a lot of spies. Uh, these would be diplomats and collectors of information. They would uh, travel out to other regions, check on the uh, check on the king's land, 
make sure the uh, other little communities were paying their proper tributes while delivering their exports or collecting imports. They were also, you know, collecting information. They were spying who could be trusted, who could be conquered. You know, there were also judges who would settle disputes to the middle class. There was the nobles. Nobles would preside over neighborhoods of commoners uh, who were assigned work. Kind of like serfdom, I guess, a little bit like that. Uh, they ensured that they were uh, there, there was going to be a functioning school for the for the kids in their neighborhoods that would be free of charge. They ensured that a temple would be built and maintained, and occasionally had ball ball courts built for entertainment, where where I imagine young men practicing pretty hard, practicing pretty hard, considering there was a chance they would one day end up playing to the death. Uh, nobles were allowed to display their wealth and dress extravagantly. Their homes were filled with beautifully crafted furniture, decorative and fine dining ware. Lots of servants. I mean, they were living it up down there. Uh, they were the only class allowed to own land other than the king. Uh, their kids went to uh, fine schools, like private schools, where they learned, you know, the arts and academics. Unlike the public schools where commoners were taught, you know, how to be soldiers or uh, how to take care of a home. However, not always fun being a noble. They were expected to be model citizens, display perfect behavior. They had to host large feasts for the commoners, had to lead labor initiatives, command armies. And if they broke the law or acted in a, in a way unbefitting the nobles, uh, they would be punished harshly. Uh, often involving death, often involving having their heads cut off. Uh, if you made it to the age of 52 without getting your head cut off, uh, you didn't end up getting sacrificed by a priest. Life was pretty sweet. Aztecs 52 uh, you know, years old and up were kind of allowed to do whatever they wanted, uh, you know, within reason. Um, you know, they were given this privilege because if they had completed their life requ- you know, requirements and, and lived in service of their community, and uh, then they got to kind of you know, kick back and just uh, take it easy. Retirement was legit in the Aztec Empire, man. Best best empire to retire in possible. You could be drunk. You could be disorderly in the street. You know, you have your family fucking cook for you, clean up after you. you you've earned it. You're 52. You're, you're ancient. You're a very old 52-year-old man. That's crazy that that was eight, uh, that old back then. Now there's like 52-year-olds doing fucking triathlons. Now, now Then there was the king class, one member at a time. Uh, kings weren't promoted through family lineage. Unlike uh, Europe and much of the rest of the world, they, they had to be elected by nobles, regardless of who their dad was. Kings had advisors. They were expected to personally oversee virtually everything, taxes, military strategy, festivals, religious ceremonies. It was a, it was a tough job. They were viewed as a governmental leader, a father figure, spiritual leader. They have thousands of servants, servants, excuse me, several wives. They had a, you know, uh, live in a, a palace or castle or fortress filled with hundreds of rooms, you know, shared with their wives, servants and advisors, constantly inundated with gifts that would be piled on one of the lower levels of the, of the castle. You know, cleanliness was a social norm. The king would be pristine at all time. You know, servants wiping his hands and feet on the regular. Clothing was ornate and beautiful. Precious stones and metals, feathers, finely woven fabric. It's all expected to be worn by the king. Uh, talk about marriage real quick. Aztec men married uh, usually by the age of 20. Girls were often married by uh, the ages of 10 or 12. <laughs> Man, you thought your kids were growing up too fast. Marriages were arranged by relatives with the date chosen by a soothsayer, by some wizard. Uh, young married couples lived with uh, husband's family were expected to take care of their children and the elders of that family. Man, my 10-year-old daughter Monroe, she just started doing chores around the house. You know, she has like a few dishes from time to time. If she was an Aztec, oh, she'd have a husband, like a baby on the way. She'd have a mother-in-law to clean up after. <laughs> they grew up real fast back then. Uh, a lot of festivals, if you were an Aztec, that, where this is going to get uh, horrific. So many festivals. First day of every month was feast day. That, that was a good one. Easy. Nice communities get together, have to have a little lizard, eat a little rat. No, they had a uh, fish and stuff. Uh, from from March twenty first to April 9th, it was the rites of fertility uh, festival. During the spring equinox, the Aztecs honored the god Zipsetotec, 
uh, captured warriors were sacrificed, their skin flayed and worn by the priests of Zipse Totec for 20 days. All the kids ran after the priests, playfully hitting them. This is what was described from the sources. Playfully hitting them with their wooden toy swords. Gladiatorial battles, military uh, ceremonies also took place during this month. What in the fucking fuck? 20 days. They're wearing some bastard's skin for 20 days. Three weeks. Having kids chase them around. Ah, you know, right when, right when I start to like them, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, that sucks that they were conquered. And then I read something like this. Then I'm like, ah, oh, they, sh- they probably should have been conquered. That's not cool. It's too much. Not cool to wear someone's skin and then play with some kids. Ed Gein, man, he would have loved being an Aztec priest. Uh, he, he, he'd been making up new holidays left and right, trying to get his hands on, you know, more new skin. Ah, flayed, man. Uh-huh. April 30th to May 19th, it was the Great Vigil uh, Festival. Many of the gods honored during this month. Human sacrifices <laughs> widespread. Children and, and young women were sacrificed uh, often as offerings to the corn and earth deities. Yep, that's fun. You know, one month you're beating some skin-wearing priest with a wooden sword. The next month he's sacrificing you to the corn god. Are you serious? Oh, great corn god. Please accept this dead child needlessly killed as a small token of respect for your wonderful corn. Someone tried to tell me recently that regular watering and, and fertilizer was the best way to grow corn. But I know better, oh, great corn god. Only the blood of scared children, sometimes young woman's blood, Grows the sweet, sweet corn that we all crave. Praise the corn. Ah, the people who work in the office next door and upstairs must think I am completely out of my mind. Can you imagine if I know they can hear me because we've talked about it in the hall before. Uh, they can hear a little bit of what I say. Can you imagine if you heard uh, from your office next door, only the blood of children grows corn. Ah, you're me nervous. New corn. Uh, yeah, it was worshipped. People would ask for blessings over the corn crops. Okay, so that's that festival. August 8th through August 27th, it was the Feast of the Revered Deceased. The goddess known as the Lady of the Dead was the focus this month, which was dedicated to children and the dead, full of joyful festivities, generous feasting as they remember their children and their ancestors, food, small clay figurines, images of the dead brought to the altars as the offerings. Again, what a weird spring and summer for the kids. One day your kid's beating that old skin-wearing priest, crazy pants. Next month, he's being sacrificed. And, and, and then, a little bit after that, you're like, let's, let's raise a toast to little Billy. He was taken too soon. It's, it seems like only a few months ago he was hitting that priest. Because <laughs> he was. December 26th, January 14th was the descent of the water celebration. Four days of bloodletting. Mm-hmm. And a fasting period preceded this month during the festival. Uh, Talak. The Aztec god of water uh, was asked to uh, send waters down to earth so the season's new corn could be grown, feasts would be held in his honor, tended by nobles, and of course, more sacrificing. Slaves would be sacrificed in the surrounding hills. Uh, in the surrounding hills, excuse me. Uh, kids would be drowned. Yep. Uh, feathers would be left as offerings to Tlaloc. <laughs> the feathering part doesn't. The feathers part doesn't seem too bad. The drowning kid seems. Uh, I'm going to say excessive. That seems to me to to me that seems excessive. Now I'm definitely looking forward to Cortez conquering these people. I mean, look, the Spaniards did a fair amount of crazy shit. The Inquisition being one we already covered. But this is next level. So much sacrifice. And how, you might ask, were a lot of these people being sacrificed? Well, let's talk about it. Common sacrifice practice, you know, excluding those that uh, were sacrificed to the rain god. They were just thrown into some water, you know, held under and drowned. Uh, Began with the person being stretched out over a large stone. 
at the top of the temple, the Templo Mayor. Uh, the priest would then use an obsidian knife to stab him in the heart. That's like some fucking Indiana Jones Temple of Doom shit. The priest would, would use an obsidian knife to stab him in the heart, remove the heart from their body as an offering to the gods. I imagine it's still beating. I don't, I, I probably didn't. I know that's probably impossible. Then they would be decapitated. Then they would be dismembered. And then the, their body, what's left of it, they, they would be tossed down the steps of the pyramid. <laughs> Between 10,000 and 80,000 people were sacrificed during the temple's seventh phase of construction, according to one source they found. Accounts vary wildly regarding exactly how many people were sacrificed because we don't, we don't know, but it seems, it seems as if uh, they were sacrificing people like so often and so many. They were busy beasts. What a, what a weird job for those priests. If I, you know, if I, was, if I had to be sacrificed, I got to say, I'd want to be one of the people sacrificed at the start of a shift, right? I want the knife to be at sharpest. You know, I want their arms to be the least amount of tired. Right, let's get this over with quick. Because what if you, what if you were, uh, you know, person sacrificed number forty-seven that day? You're, you know, you're at the end of a twelve-hour sacrifice shift. Yeah, you know? the the priest, you know, it's been ten minutes. He still can't get your heart out. Just, so, sorry, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm sorry. I know this is terrible. This is drawn out and terrible. The knife is dull. <sighs> you, look, you have no idea how exhausting it is to cut 40, 50 hearts out in a day, and then there's the heads. <laughs> we haven't even talked about it. All the heads I got cut off. If you weren't about to get your head cut off, I would I would tell you to try for yourself. You you see how hard it is. You tell me how easy it is. And you have a pretty thick neck. God damn. What is this? What is this? Juan, what is this? Fucking thick neck day? God damn. Jorge. Jorge gets one skinny twig neck after another. I got I got Paco no neck to saw through. And then there's the dismemberment. That's That's probably the worst part. By the time I'm done for the day, I, I, I'll tell you, I can barely, I can barely throw a torso down the steps. Now, hold still. You're squirming. You're squirming. If you keep squirming, I'm never going to get that heart out. Uh, yeah, so now we know a little bit about Aztec culture prior to the Spaniards landing. Like every culture, some good parts and some bad parts. Uh, I am terrified of them. Good parts uh, like tasty chocolate milk, or not milk, like a tasty chocolate corn drink, <laughs> which doesn't sound good when you say it that way. Do you want a tasty chocolate corn drink? No. But apparently it's just, uh Feasts, solid weather, uh, bad parts like, you know, kids being sacrificed to corn gods. Uh, so, okay, so let's jump back into today's timeline now with the birth of the man who would savagely fuck this culture up, Hernan Cortez, a man who, who was arguably not a very good dude. Uh, why, was he, why was he not a very good dude? He, was, he seemed very bloodthirsty, seemed kind of angry. Why was he angry? Uh, maybe, and I don't know this for sure, but he might have been mad about hair loss. Maybe he was thinning up top. He was upset about it. Uh, and he took his frustrations out on the Aztecs. Maybe he needed to get in touch with today's sponsor. Time's up. Brought to you today by 4 A one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. Uh, with medical-grade solutions, real doctors, well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions that can help you keep your hair. 4 offers men easier, more affordable access to prescriptions, products, and medical advice. And they're not fucking around. They don't sell hippy-dippy pseudoscience crystal herbal supplements. You're not going to get some catnip. You're not going to get eye of newt or rhino horn powder. They sell prescription solutions backed by science. I- I've taken prescription hair loss prevention pills for several years, maybe four, four years, five. Why? Because why not? Because it exists. That's why. Because it's possible. Better living through modern chemistry. I am a believer in that mantra. So, uh, so get in on some, some science. No waiting room. No awkward doctor visits. Save hours. By going to 4 do it. 
answer a few quick questions. So order now. Time suckers get a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just five dollars uh, today. Do it while supplies last for five bucks. Right? They're they're losing money. They're losing. See the website for full details. This will cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or pharmacy. Go to fourhims.com slash timesuck. That's fourhims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash timesuck. And the link is in today's episode description. Do it, man. Five bucks. Get started. Take care of yourself. And and there's much more uh, on the site uh, in addition to, to, to hair, you know, products. There's, there's much more. There's a lot of cool stuff. Check it out. Now back to Hernan. He who brought a world of pain to the Aztecs Cortez. Okay. Hernan or Hernando Cortez was born in 1485 in Medellin, Western Spain. He was born to a comfortable upper middle class family, attended the uh, Universidad uh, de Salamanca and studied law before venturing out to make his riches as an explorer in the Americas. In 1504, at the age of 18, he blew the boys away. It was more than they'd seen. Now, I don't know why Tom Petty just uh, jumped into my head right there. Uh, no, in 1504, at age 18, he sailed for Hispaniola, Haiti, Dominican Republic today, uh, aboard a ship captained by Alfonso Quintero and settled in the uh, capital of Santo Domingo. After uh, arriving, he found Governor Nicolas de Ovanda, uh, who was, of course, newly established from Spain. He was, he was out for gold, but basically told to uh, calm down, shut the fuck up, do some work, and be happy with your piece of land. I may have added the shut the fuck up part. Cortez registered as a colonist, uh, did that for about five years. He also spent a, spent a bit of time sleeping around. I guess he was the uh, ladies' man there. He, is, uh, he also squashed some indigenous uprisings, gained a name for himself as a ruthless mofo. 1511, sailed for Cuba, where he assisted Diego Velasquez, the first colonial governor there, conquering the area. He furthered his reputation as a dude who did what needed to be done. He was rewarded with land and slaves through his growing uh, connections and reputation. He became clerk to the treasurer for the Spanish crown. From there, he moved up to become secretary to the governor himself, twice appointed magistrate before becoming mayor of Cuba's capital. He used his power to fight for more, uh, quote-unquote, rights for the colonists. You know, things like demanding that they be assigned more local slaves to work their mines and farms. What, what about our rights? What about our rights to take away other people's rights? What about those rights? Uh, Cortez also firmed up his relationship with the elite by marrying Velasquez's uh, sister-in-law, Catalina. All right, a little political marriage. 1518, Aztec ruler Montezuma II begins to receive reports that foreigners have landed on the coast. Juan de Grijalva, uh, yeah, the first Spanish explorer to set, uh, to set foot on Mexican soil, had just established camp, was preparing his exploratory expedition. Montezuma ordered eyes to the area. Uh, was, was to be kept abreast of developments. Uh, Mexico is under new exploration now. Spain has sent a few scouts inland to quietly check out what's going on. Send some reports back. Reports do come back. Right? Juan de Grijalva talks about cities of gold. Cortez hears about this, eager to check it out. After de Grijalva returns, uh, he persuades Velasquez to let him join the ongoing Spanish explorations in October of 1518. But then the last minute in 1519, Velasquez cancels a trip out of jealousy over Cortez's uh, growing power and frustration over their now strained relationship. Things aren't going well between the two. And then Cortez, uh, he, uh, he's, he's, he had recently convinced or tricked, depending on the source, Velasquez into writing a new clause into existing law that would allow emergency measure to be taken without prior authorization from the crown. And Velasquez is uh, concerned that Cortez is going to now use that for selfish gain. And uh, he does. He ignores the cancellation of his expedition in February 1519. And he takes off 
to make his mark in the, in, in the new world under an act of mutiny. He picks up more soldiers, horses, and supplies in Cuba, lands in Mexico in February with 11 ships, 508 men, 13 horses, and cannons. And, uh, and he brought with him a new Catholic policy of do what we fucking tell you to do, and maybe you will live. Uh, and he brought that to whoever he ran into. Seriously, back in 1510, a group called the Council of Castile had drafted something called the Requirement for uh, New World Exploration. It was to be read to all indigenous people encountered by Spanish explorers, and it uh, established the religious authority of the Roman Catholic Pope over the entire earth. Also established the political authority of Spain over all of the Americas, excluding Brazil, because Portugal had that one, and they had to deal with Portugal. It was generally read in Latin upon arrival, as if anyone could understand. Think about how ridiculous this is. They would just show up. They would go. Some dude would stand on an empty beach and read a language that no one living there knew, even if they were there. It's just such nonsense. Uh, and then they would act as if that was gave them moral credence to just do whatever the horrible shit they wanted to do. This is what, here's some excerpts. It would, they, would, they would start reading this, and this would be in Latin. It would say, if you do so, uh, you know, if you're obedient uh, to the Spanish crown, if you do so, you will do well. And that which you are obliged to do to their highness, and we in their name shall receive you in love and charity. And shall you, your wives and your children and your lands free without servitude, that you may do with them and with yourselves freely that which you like and think best. And again, no one can speak this language that they would be reading it to. But if you do not do this, and maliciously make delay in it. I certify to you that with the help of God, we shall powerfully enter into your country. We shall make war against you in all ways and manners that we can and shall subject you to the yoke and obedience of the church and of the highness. Highnesses, uh, we shall take you and your wives and your children and shall make slaves of them. And as such shall sell and dispose of them as their highnesses may command. And we shall take away your good and shall do you all the mischief and damage that we can as to vassals who do not obey and refuse to receive their Lord, and resist and contradict him. And we protest that the deaths and losses which shall accrue from this are your fault, and not that of their highnesses, or ours, nor of these cavaliers who come with us. Wow, these arrogant fucks. My favorite part is, <laughs> shall do you all the mischief and damage that we can. In the name of Jesus and the Father, we will motherfuck you savages, if you do one thing that annoys us slightly. And because they were really sadistic, greedy uh, assholes, they didn't even honor the first part of we'll let you live if you surrender peacefully. No, peaceful surrender, uh, aggressive defense. Eventually, the story would always end the same way. Death, submission, theft, oppression, cultural annihilation. See, now now earlier I was rooting for the Spanish conquerors. Now I might be back on the Aztec team. It's, I got to say, very hard to root for anyone in this tale. It was a bloody, terrible time to be alive. You have one shitty empire going up against what seems to be another shitty empire. Uh, in May of 1519, Cortes has landed his fleet of ships in the uh, Yucatan, established a settlement that would later become uh, Veracruz. Cortes is able to learn through the beginnings of communicating with locals. They never really describe how that works. I never understand that, where they show up in a place where they don't speak the language of anyone there, and and they start to figure out how to talk to them. I'm guessing the, you know, the previous explorer who'd done test missions maybe took some captives, and over the next few months, they figured out how to kind of talk to them, but they don't say that. It's just speculation. I never understand how they start to talk to these people. But anyway, they start talking with locals, in particular, a woman named uh, who would be renamed Donna Marina, uh, who was one of 20 slaves given to Cortez right when he got there in the Tabasco region. And she would go on to become his interpreter guide, actually would go on to become the mother of one of his sons, Marin. Uh, and uh, she she tells him that that he will probably be viewed by the Aztecs as the fulfillment of a prophecy. 
His arrival coincided with an important Aztec prophecy converting the Aztec god that we've mentioned, uh, Quetzal, Quetzalcoatl, uh, Quetzalcoatl, whom they credited with the creation of humans, along with other notable feats, who was set to return to Earth. They were waiting for him to return to Earth and, and, and lead them. Montezuma and the Aztecs would think that Cortez was this god. Uh, that's a huge advantage he walked into. Cortez would use this to his advantage. When Cortez landed in Veracruz, Montezuma was immediately notified. He sent five messengers to greet the strangers, directing them uh, to be curious and gracious. Sends them off with a variety of valuable goods, a serpent mask inlaid with turquoise, a shield decorated with gold, mother of pearl, pendants, jewelry, lots of more, lots more treasure. Uh, when the messengers arrive, Cortez and his men demand to know who they are and where they're from. And then they, they use a ladder, a lower ladder, you know, ask these guys to board the ship. Upon meeting Cortez, the Aztec messengers show respect by kissing the ground. You know, I guess it would technically be the, the, the wood uh, before him, adorning him with their gifts, laying out the rest for his display. Or I guess maybe they did it on, on the beach. That detail also not, uh, not recorded. And then Cortez, uh, his captain, asked them, and, and is this all? Is this, is this your gift of welcome? Is this how you greet people? What a bunch of dicks. I just picture these Spaniards sneering and laughing with each other as they do this. No respect for the lives of anyone in, their, in the Americas. The arrogance, man, of the early explorers towards indigenous people is just sickening. Uh, but, but to be fair, that kind of is how the world worked in general back then. Like, like Cortez and his men didn't give two shits about the lives of these you know, guys or, or who, they're, you know, who they were as people. But also the Aztec leaders <laughs> didn't give a shit about them either. Back then, ruling people, you know, uh, to a far greater degree than, than now, or at least they were able to get a, away with different things than they do now. Ruling people just didn't fucking care about the lives of anyone else. Their lives were just truly disposable. It did not matter. Um, man, life for most of the world, uh, for most of the world's history, has been seen as pretty cheap. Uh, taking his gifts, Cortez uh, then chains the messengers by their feet and neck, chains them up. Then to, to display the Spaniard's strength, he fires a cannon, and they've never seen anything like this before in their lives. Not even close. They had nothing close to a cannon. And it scared them so bad, they literally fainted. These, these warriors faint. Like, what the hell is that thing? That's so noisy. A noise they've never heard, never heard anything that loud. Not even close. So once they're revived, Cortez announces that, uh, you know, he's heard the Mexicans, uh, these guys, I, you know, say Mexicans, Aztecs, whatever, great warriors. And, and he, uh, he wanted to see if the rumors were true. He heard, heard there were great war warriors, and he wanted them to fight some of his soldiers to the death. They beg him not to do that, you know, that they were sent there to bring good tidings and not battle. Uh, he's like, no, we're going to battle. We're going to eat first, then we're going to battle. And then uh, when they're free to eat, the messengers managed to escape. So I don't know if that was just some psychological thing to mess them, like he just wanted to scare them more, but they, maybe he let them get away. But they get away, they, they paddle, they run their sweet asses off, and they make it back to Montezuma in the middle of the night. And they tell him, a thing like a ball comes out of its entrails. Come out shooting sparks and raining fire. If the cannon is aimed against a mountain, the mountain splits and is cracked open. Their trappings and their arms are all made of iron. They're deer horses. Well, they, they said they're deer. It was their horses. I, I kind of like when, it, when it's uh, spoken as deer horses. Though. Their deer horses carry them on their backs wherever they wish to go. These deer, our Lord, are as tall as the roof of a house. Yeah, because they've never seen deer before. Uh, the stranger's bodies are completely covered so that only their faces can be seen. Their skin is white as if it were made of lime. And they, and they go on to talk about, you know, enormous dogs. They'd never seen those before. Strange food, more, more stuff, more weapons. They're terrified. He responds to this alarming news by sending out another group of men. He sends, this time he sends, quote, prophets, wizards, nobles, and warriors. Send the wizards. Time, time to bring in the wizards. He, uh, he sends them some more gifts and uh, sends some captives this time. And, he's, and he tells them, like, hey, just, uh, you know, show them that we're cool. 
sacrifice the captives in front of them and then let the, let the Spaniards drink their blood so they can be happy about that. You know, it'd be a nice, nice thing to do. <laughs> Again, this reminds me of the early thing when they, when they, uh, you know, in their, in their history, when they killed, killed that leader's daughter, uh, and then wore her skin, you know, let's, let's do something nice. That guy, it was really cool of him to give us his daughter. Let's, uh, let's return the favor. Let's, let's, let's one up. Let's take it a notch higher. Let's kill her. Let's wear her skin uh, as, as a suit and have dinner with him. Like these guys are just so fucked up. Like their culture is so off the charts, crazy in certain aspects. It's like, they're, it's such a weird thing where they're trying to do their best. They're trying to do a good deed, but what they consider a good deed, most of history considers like preposterously evil and horrific. They're like, let's be nice. Let's show them that we're cool. Bring a couple slaves and uh, cut their throats and, uh, you know, get, get, the, get their blood into some goblets and then, uh, you know, make a toast. And, uh, oh, and send the magicians. He sends the magicians and uh, he tells the magicians. To, <laughs> that's what was written in the source is magicians. He tells the uh, magicians to learn about them, identify their potential weaknesses. If possible, cast a spell, cast a charm against them. Get, get some fucking spells going, if you don't mind. Uh, upon, re- upon return, the group <laughs> tells Montezuma that Cortez's men, not happy about the blood. Uh, they were disgusted and refused to drink it. So rude, kind of rude. You know, when in Rome, guys, you drink the blood. Nope. And then the magicians explained that they, they failed in finding weaknesses. Uh, they were unable to cast successful char- charms against them. <laughs> what a crazy time. Uh, they proclaimed that Montezuma's people, that they were no match for these new Spaniards. So then... You know, Montezuma's like, ah, shit, man. He's nervous. He's like, yeah, all right, he, uh, we'll, we'll go fucking monitor him some more. Just bring me back something. Bring me back something. So he sends a bunch of spies to kind of keep an eye on him. What a weird culture clash, you know? Like Montezuma just being so confused. What, what do you mean? What do you mean they wouldn't drink the human blood? Did you offer, did you give him bread to drink it, to eat it with? Well, they drink, and they still wouldn't drink it. Incredible. Did you learn anything about their magic? Did you learn anything about their spells? No, no, no. Did you try casting charms? You, you, your best charms. What about Lenny? Lenny, did you work your best charms? What about the death charm? You get, God damn, okay. All right, tell me, tell me a little more about the giant deer. Let's talk about the deer they ride. So crazy, man. These Spaniards were like aliens to them, right? Think about, think about what was going through their heads. The Aztecs encountering the Spaniards with their futuristic weapons, their armor, animals they'd never seen before, sh- these big ships, they'd never seen anything like that. They looked down to their skin color like humans they had never encountered. Encountering the Spaniards, I bet, was as mind-blowing to them as if we today encountered UFOs. Like it would be just as mind-blowing as if a giant spaceship landed in your town and started trying to talk to, you know, trying to talk to you. Oh, man. Cortez uh, knew that several men in his crew wanted to gather as much gold as possible. Set sail for home, but he had bigger plans. He wanted to create a working empire. He's, he's thinking long-term. So he sinks all of his ships, but one. God, man, he sinks all the ships. Now I'm trying to remember how many ships he had because uh, he had a lot. I'm backing up my notes. He had a fleet of ships. Sorry, a lot of notes. I know you're probably like, just fucking get on with the story. We don't, oh, he had 11 ships. So he sinks 10 ships. He leaves one ship. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, uh, dude, no, the one ship he just left, by the way, just so he could, you know, send a, a message to the, you know, Holy Roman Emperor, the King of Spain, Charles V and, you know, Charles's queen, Joanna telling them like, Hey, there's, there's, I'm going to bring you a lot of gold. You're going to see, I know I wasn't supposed to be here, but you're going to see that this is worth it. I'm going to get you guys so much gold. And he basically, you know, burns the rest of the ships, tell his men like, nah, nah, bros. We go home when we get all of the gold. We're not getting a couple ships full. We're getting all of it. We're taking, we're taking everything. Um, 
Yeah. So Cortez then soon, uh, he, he soon meets some, some men, some other tribes in the area that agree to take him and help him out, take him to uh, Tenochtitlan, the city of Mexico, you know, and they're going to they're gonna guide him there. He makes some, uh, some alliances, uh, basically telling them, like, you know, I'll take care of you if you, if you take me to the city. And if you don't take care of me, I'm going to kill you. Well, the guides are a member of the, uh, t- t- this is a tough one, Tlux, Tlux Collins, and they hated the Aztecs. And these sons of bitches, well, if it wasn't for them, I don't think Cortez wouldn't be able to get the Aztecs. They had a, they had a big kind of little empire of their own, not, not nearly as big as the Aztecs, but they had a lot of dudes. They had a lot of dudes, and uh, they've been forced to pay high taxes and provide you know sacrificial tributes for years. They were living under the thumb. They were technically part of the Aztec empire a little bit because they were these, you know, having to pay tributes. So they're like, oh, this might be our chance to get out from under them. And then Cortez and his new allies, they begin to move inland. By some accounts, the Tlaxans uh, took advantage of their, their newfound weapon and started to use it to, uh, you know, solve disputes with other people they didn't like. Like, uh, you know, he, they convinced them, the Spaniards, that the uh, Toltecas were on the way and should be defeated. But they were friends of the Aztecs and brave warriors. And uh, these people were, you know, more enemies of the Tlaxcalans. Uh, Tlax Collins sent a message to the Choltecas on behalf of the Spaniards to surrender to them. The Choltecas weren't afraid of the Spaniards, and they said, like, come on, man, bring it. Bring it, man. Our God will take care of you. They genuinely believed their God would strike down the enemy. You know, that wasn't the, these, uh, these conquistadors weren't part of their prophecies, so they're like, yeah, if I can get it, come on over here. Our God is going to smack you with lightning and then drown you. That's what they actually believed. And they sent a clear message back uh, with an envoy that had been sent to tell them to lay their weapons down and just, you know, bow down to the Tlax uh, Tlax. Uh, Collins and the, and the Spaniards and the Choltecas, man, they sent this guy back, this poor envoy, the guy that brought them the message. They sent him back with his hands basically completely cut off, but just kind of dangling by a little bit of skin from the wrists. And they sent him back with the following message, go back and tell the uh, Telex Collins uh, and, and, and the people with them that we invite them to come. This is, this is, this is our answer. This uh, looks what's going to happen. Look what happened to this guy. So Cortez then calls for an assembly with the Choltecas. He's like, hey, man, let's not get crazy. No one needs to fight. Let's, let's talk and work this out. And then uh, when everyone shows up to the, to the meeting place, you know, they're, they're not in war mode. He and his uh, Tlux, uh, Colin allies lock him in, beat him to death. So I keep messing up on this word because it's written in two ways. That's another thing. A lot of these times, man, some of these little smaller ones, they, they write it in three different ways. So sometimes I have it written down one way. Sometimes I have it written down another. Even when you look in like, uh, even as like Wikipedia, it'll be like this tribe, but then it'll have like three variations of their name. Uh, so anyway, he and, his, he, and his, he and his bros, he and his buddies go after the guys they don't like. <laughs> they, kill, they kill 15 to 30,000 of them, burn portions of their capital city. Uh, their God does not come to their defense does not uh, drown him, doesn't uh, send, any, send any lightning down, you know, doesn't, doesn't help him out. Well, the news travels quickly to the Aztecs that uh, the Spaniards now, that they have an ally, the, the fucking whatever, the, the crazy-ass names, the Tlax Collins, and that they're, they're, you know, they're causing some carnage. Montezuma hears about it. And uh, Cortez now sends advanced communication to Montezuma that if he's going to, if he accepts them, and provides them with respect and gold. They have nothing to fear. He receives that news, and he sends gifts, more gifts now to the Spaniards to appease them. He sends a ton, ton of gold, some feathers, some, some jewels. Uh, some accounts say this was done as a, as a tax to keep them away. Others say it was like to welcome the return of the perceived god, uh, Kelsal Coatl, uh, who, you know, Montezuma believed Cortez to be. Uh, we don't know for sure, which is truth. Most historians seem to think he did think he was a God. Uh, what we do know is that, um, Cortez, he, he heads over November 8th, 1519. He makes his way to Nochtitlan. Montezuma meets him 
and his men at the causeway leading to the great city. They exchange gifts. Uh, the wide road leading to the city is covered in flowers for their arrival. The Aztec leader gives Cortez an Aztec's calendar made out of gold and silver. At this point, history is again muddy. Cortez claims that Montezuma immediately hands him over the city, telling him, you know, he believes him to be an Aztec god. Most historically preserved accounts agree with this. Uh, again, the problem, though, is that, you know, Cortez loved to embellish his own tales of conquest, and he happened to be in control of the narrative. Some firsthand accounts claim that Montezuma told Cortez, you have come to sit on your seat of authority, which I have kept for a while for you, where I have been in charge for you, for your agents, the rulers. Interpretation, though, is a tricky thing. And in the Aztec culture, I guess it was it was common to basically be sarcastic. They would say what was polite, but they would mean the opposite. So maybe he was like uh, being sarcastic, you know. Maybe he was being genuine and like, hey, God, I've been keeping your kingdom ready for you. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. Maybe he said there's no reason to fight. Maybe he said there's plenty of gold for everybody. You know, maybe he said, let's uh, let's talk everything out after you, bit, after you get a good night's sleep on a Lisa mattress. Maybe he said that. We don't know for sure. There's a lot of things open to possibility. Yes, today's Time Suck is also brought to you by Lisa Mattress, driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. Lisa is an innovative direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that is also socially conscious. In fact, for every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. They plant one tree for every mattress sold, donate 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. And if they would have been around uh, back in the Aztec era, they would have been encouraged, uh, encouraging priests to do less sacrificing, cut less hearts out, take more naps. Lisa is designed for all types of sleepers, features three premium foam layers, two-inch Avena foam top layer for cooling and breathability. I feel like Montezuma would have enjoyed that. Two-inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring, pressure relief. Maybe Cortez would have enjoyed that. Six-inch dense core support foam for durability and structure. I, I, I enjoy that. I, uh, I'm sure this week while I'm camping, I'm, I'm going to be wishing uh, you know, that I have my Lisa mattress with me in the tent. My back is going to be jacked until I get back to my Lisa. So get your shit together. Try Lisa mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk-free. Available in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Germany online with free shipping. There's a 100% American-made mattress. Ships compressed in a box right to your door. I had one show to mine. It's so easy. Uh, you can try it at the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City. You can try it in Virginia Beach. Over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. Get $160 off when you go to Lisa, L-E-E-S-A dot com slash time suck link in the episode description. All right. So maybe Montezuma didn't talk to Cortez about mattresses. Whatever was said, Montezuma took Cortez to his palace where the Spaniards lived in luxury. Uh, as a guest of the king, surveyed his remarkable city. Uh, yeah. Um, so, sorry, uh, customs, great feasts were held. Tours of the city were given to newcomers. Gold and valuable gifts were bestowed on the Spaniards. Cortez responded by asking for more for his king. And of course, a bunch of people were sacrificed. Yeah, this is the Aztecs. You know, that horrifies the Spaniards. Montezuma had previously been warned by his brother, uh, Quitlawak, uh, and his nephew, Kakotmitsin, that he should not trust the Spanish and that he should act swiftly against him. And it's too bad he didn't listen because uh, that could have ended the court, uh, you know, the Spaniards' advance. Probably would have because they were greatly outnumbered. If they would have just killed him when they showed up, uh, even with their allies, you know, they probably could have taken him. But he didn't. He, uh, he didn't listen to his brother. He's like, hey, he's like, hey, 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 who's the ruler here? Are you guys the ruler? Or am I the ruler? Hey, you remember last year when you told me that the corn would come in just fine with the sacrifice of only 1,000 kids? And I was like, why not 5,000? Maybe at least 2,000 really cute kids. And I took your advice. We only killed 1,000 kids. And then, and then the corn was a little tiny and a little dry for my liking. That's when I promised myself to never listen to you two again after the corn situation. 
Uh, who knows what he said, but he didn't listen to him. He ignored their warnings. Then on November 14th, 1519, Cortez took Montezuma prisoner. Uh, records claim it was a peaceful surrender uh, with Montezuma being held hostage in his own palace. And again, you know, it could have been a very peaceful surrender if he really believed they were, they were gods uh, or that Cortez was the god, I guess, you know. And, uh, and then supposedly they became something akin to kind of friends. They played board games together, <laughs> visit casually. Uh, Montezuma ordered a large tribute of gold and other precious items to be collected for C Cortez and his men while they remained in his palace. This pushed many of the Aztec citizens uh, to their breaking point. They began to doubt their leader. Tensions began to escalate. Uh, Montezuma supposedly advised Cortez then to leave for a while at this time. Man, he really bought into him being a god. Dude, let it go, but he didn't. Then in April or May of 1520, a man named uh, Panfilo de Navarrez arrives on the, Mexican, uh, on the Gulf Coast, sent by Governor Velasquez to bring Cortez to heel. Right, this dude shows up with 19 ships, over 800 soldiers, 80 horsemen, 120 crossbowmen, uh, and more. The mission's simple, capture Cortez, bring him back to Cuba to face trial for insubordination. You know, but uh, Cortez instead, uh, you know, he, he convinces uh, this dude's men to, to follow him. Uh, he didn't really, he really didn't fuck around, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He fought some of his fellow Spaniards and then convinced the rest to come with you. Nah, come on, come on, come with me. There's so much gold. Let's go get it. So now he has more soldiers. May 22nd, 1520, the Aztecs host their annual celebration, the festival of Tuxcatl. This is when Cortez is gone, working shit out with his, with his, uh, with his other dude. He's left, uh, Pedro de Alvarado, uh, in, in charge back in, uh, uh, Tenochtitlan. um, and uh, the Aztecs are hosting his annual celebration of the festival of Tuxcatl, the permission uh, of Alvarado. And in the midst of the festival, a young man who had prepared for an entire year to be sacrificed is sacrificed. And uh, Alvarado loses his shit. He had only allowed the festival to happen under the direction that no sacrifices be, be taking place. These guys are, I love just how they're so sick of the sacrifices. Like, look, look, you assholes, no sacrifices. Right? I'm sick of it. I, I don't like the immoral sacrificing being done as I'm manipulating your leaders into letting me take over your empire. Uh, Alvarado had been uh, previously informed through the torture of some priests and nobles that the Aztecs were also planning a revolt. You know, he was interesting there. He was against sacrifice, but he was pro-torture. And then uh, and dances began, and then uh, human flesh <laughs> begins being eaten as part of the elaborate ritual of the festival after the sacrifice. And he loses his shit, and he orders the gates to be closed and all Aztecs' presence to be slaughtered. Men, women, and children. Just, <laughs> again, the hypocrisy, though. You, you, you people are savages. I'll show you what it looks like to be civilized. Diego, butcher all the children. Teach them some decency. Um, so Cortez defeats uh, Navarrez's forces uh, in an ambush. Uh, it's actually, okay, sorry, I didn't have that in my notes earlier. But uh, he defeats that guy who'd come to bring him to heal, defeats that guy, defeats his forces, then convinces the crew to join him and, and to return to Tino, uh, Tenochtitlan, you know, to get some gold. And uh, again, so meanwhile, after the, the butchering, there, there is a revolt. Thousands of Aztecs are now attacking the Spanish. They refuse to listen when, to, to them when Montezuma comes back. He, he delivers a, a speech uh, to, uh, at Cortez's behest to tell them to calm down. You know, tell them, you know, come on, we'll work this out. And it, and it doesn't go well. Uh, he's giving them a speech. <laughs> Check this shit out. The, the, the crowd becomes very angry. They start throwing rocks at him. And one of these rocks strikes him in the head and kills him. That's how he died. Who, who's fantasized? Uh, other than me, about uh, something like that happening to a politician while listening to them give a speech you don't care for. Just shut, shut the fuck up already. And then, you know, just a rock flies out from the crowd. Smack, dead. Uh, new king is elected from the surviving nobles. Uh, Quit, Quitawak, Montezuma's younger brother, 
who had warned him about the Spanish. Now shit's not cool between the uh, Spaniards and the Aztecs. On the night of June 30th or, or the morning of July uh, 1st, the Noche Triste, the night of sorrow, Cortez tries to sneak out of the city in the dead of night. Muffles the horse's hooves, carries boards to fill in the gaps left uh, from some burning bridges, you know, that had been burnt during this big revolt. A woman spots him in their escape, alerts others. Fighting breaks out. Spanish now are trying to escape. They, you know, there's a chance they could be slaughtered now by the Aztecs who outnumber them. Try to get out of the city, uh, but they're trying to take their gold with them. And a bunch of Spanish soldiers drown in the water, weighed down by the gold. They're refusing to leave behind. Uh, A lot of Spaniards actually uh, fall down and drown, and and stories tell that bodies end up filling the gaps in the causeway in this road, stacking on top of each other so high that eventually others could run across them to uh, escape. Other stories tell of screams heard as men are dragged to the temple for sacrifice uh, or murdered in the streets by locals. So shit's going bad for the Spaniards right now. The death toll varies greatly depending on the source. Cortez says uh, he lost anywhere from 400 to 1,000 men. The Aztecs lost just as many or more, but they did win the battle. But Cortez and Alvarado do escape. Uh, again, that could have changed things. It's funny, all these little moments where things could have went very differently in history. Like, what if Cortez didn't escape? I mean, in this instance, probably after the tales that have gone back to Spain, they probably would have delayed the inevitable by a few years. Somebody else would have come and conquered. But uh, now under new leadership, the Aztecs attack. At the Battle of Otumba on July 9th or 10th, the Aztecs uh, attack the Spanish Tlaxcalteca forces uh, at Otumba under their new leader's directive. Man, those uh, that, other, that other little nation, they're still fighting alongside Cortez that they wouldn't have helped again. Added thousands of warriors to his ranks. The Aztecs probably would have killed him. Uh, their aim is to drive out the conquistadors for good, capitalized on a recent victory, but they just don't have the weaponry to properly fight armored knights on horseback. On a swift move, Cortez ends the battle by taking down the Aztec commander with one of his horsemen. Uh, the Spanish won, but they did lose up to 860 soldiers on their side. Uh, more than 1,000 uh, others are killed. Uh, that's all these numbers. The numbers get thrown around. There, there's so many discrepancies in how many he had. So many he may have gotten from reinforcements, but a lot of people die on both sides. The Tlaxcala, uh, they then uh, start surrounding Aztec cities. Um, you know, they, they could have crushed Cortez at this time with their superior numbers, but they're still on his side. Uh, but the Aztecs, due to try, try to make a play for them, the new Aztec king reaches out and is like, hey, man, let's just join forces. Let's defeat Cortez. But Cortez gives him a better deal. He promises to share any spoils of war with them, pay, you know, pay for their contributions to the war, give them a city. Uh, make them exempt from future taxes and tributes, allow them to build on Tenochtitlan. And uh, part of this agreement would, would be honored by the Spaniards for a few decades, and then they would tax the shit out of them and just take some of the land. Cortez and his allies retreat to uh, Tlaxcala's, uh, their capital, begin to launch a new campaign against the Aztecs, securing the towns surrounding Tenochtitlan. Tenochtitlan. Ah, fuck. Most, locals, most local villages readily join out of hatred for the Aztecs' demands of tribute or out of sheer desire to avoid Cortez's wrath. It was a dark, difficult time. Food is scarce now. The city had closed its doors and shut off supply. Uh, the, uh, the allies of Cortez resort to living off the flesh of their recently killed enemies while the Christian conquistadors pretend not to notice and they eat dogs and corn. Cortez's soldiers threaten to revolt. They, you know, they want to return to Veracruz, but Cortez doesn't allow it. He's like, no, nah, that's, that's failure. And if he fails, he's going to be convicted as a traitor. But he knows if he wins, and claims, you know, the spoils for Spain, he's going to be a hero. So he convinces, somehow, the men following him to, uh, to carry on and push forward. Um, he uh, orders some smaller ships and sloops to be built by his master shipbuilder to siege the city. He, uh, he does start to get some reinforcements. He starts to receive some supplies and men from Spain because the crown did receive his letter, did receive his gold, did, uh, you know, send some reinforcements to kind of help him secure everything over there. 1520, uh, October, a tiny, powerful ally 
shows up, and and this uh, really wins the war for Cortez. Smallpox. Smallpox epidemic breaks out in Tenochtitlan. The Aztecs, you know, they have no, uh, you know, uh, they've never encountered a disease like this before. They have no natural immunity whatsoever. And then for 60 days, it burns the city and and devastates them, Uh, kills about half the city. This is an eyewitness account. It says, many died from the plague. Many others died of hunger. They could not get up and search for food. Everyone else was too sick to take care for them. So they starved to death in their beds. By the time the danger was recognized, the plague was well-established and nothing could halt it. Yeah, man. Uh, Killed 50% of the Aztec population, 40% of the total native population in the area. You know, when you're at war and you lose half of your people to disease in just two months' time, you're probably going to lose the war. So this is another thing where it's like, you know, if that disease wouldn't have ravaged them, what would have happened then? Maybe they would have been able to fight back and, and tr- you know, properly battle the Spaniards. Who knows? It, it, the disease also reaches the Spanish, but they, they you know, significantly less people die because they're they have some immunity to this disease. On December 4th, 1520, uh, Quit the Aztec leader, he dies probably with small, smallpox. Following month, Cortez goes on a major offensive in January 1521. The uh, the allied Spanish Tlaxcalas, you know, the and also the, another ally, some Texcocan forces attack towns and cities around Tenochtitlan. Over 10,000 uh, new Tlaxcala soldiers now have joined Cortez. Thousands of soldiers from other cities are joining the cause. Everyone's pouring in now out of genuine hate for the Aztecs. Remember, the Aztecs, they've made these people pay tributes for years. They've sacrificed their people for years. So when word kind of starts to spread that they might be able to take down the Aztecs, they don't know the Spaniards. They don't know how bad they're going to be, but they do know how bad the Aztecs were. So uh, all that kind of comes back to haunt the Aztecs now. More Spanish ships land at Bella Cruz. More Spaniards show up. More munitions and horses on May 22nd show up. Cortez moves into position with possibly tens of thousands of soldiers now with him to uh, direct a giant assault against Tenochtitlan. Thirteen shallow bottom brigadines are mounted with cannons are set into the lake around the city, giving Spanish control of it. Fresh water to the city is cut off. They cut off the access to the springs. The Aztec fight Cortez for control of the lake, launching up to a 1,000 canoes, but that, that's, that, those are no match for the cannons. The Aztecs, they're reeling from their massive losses from smallpox, starvation. You know, it's chaos. They've lost a, a couple kings recently. You know, countless nobles have been lost. They, they need food. They need water. There's no way to exit. The Spanish have cut off all their supply routes. The few remaining tributaries that hadn't, you know, pledged themselves as allies to Cortez, they now also began to fall in line because they can tell, like, all right, these guys are probably going to win. Let's go on the winning side. So they pile on inside the city. Starvation and dehydration are running their course. Again, you know, people are starting to drink salt water in desperation. Now they're getting uh, sick from that. They're getting dysentery. Uh, They're starting to eat everything. They're so hungry. They're eating wood, leather, even softened brick. That's when you know you're fucking super hungry. When you start gnawing on brick. I, I would rather make a reservation at mostly rats and lizards than to eat a brick. The Aztecs do incredibly win a small battle here and there. Uh, one, one time when Cortez pushes forward with an attack into the market square from the canals, he, he's wounded and nearly captured. After all that, 65 other Spanish soldiers, soldiers excuse me, are captured, and uh, their heads are cut off. And this, uh, this one Aztec general, General uh, Guatemoc, proceeds to throw five of their heads at Alvarado's camp, four thrown in Cortez's camp, or thrown at Cortez's camp. Doesn't say exactly where they're thrown from, but it's just the fact that he threw them towards their camp. Six thrown at some other dude's camp, sacrifices a bunch of them, sends their hands, feet, and skin uh, to allied cities. They're, they're continuing to sacrifice captives for consecutive nights. Let the uh, Spanish conquistadors hear, hear the screams. Uh, they're roasting um, some of the people they've uh, taken and uh, eaten them, and then you know sending over like parts of their eaten bodies 
uh, throwing that that over the wall, telling the other people to go ahead and you know have their fill. They're fucking hardcore, man. Cortez again was a real asshole, but the Aztecs were pretty monstrous themselves. Cortez decides uh, to wait him out a bit more, right? He keeps getting reinforcements. He's got food and water. Let's let him starve. Let's let him dehydrate a little bit more. And then in uh, August 1521, they advance after months of strategy and battle. They make it into the city, and then days of chaotic fighting ensue. Heavy casualties on both sides. Unbelievable that the Aztecs are still able to fight back. They take positions on nearly every rooftop in their last act of defense. Accounts claim that they still continue to sacrifice up to about 70 more captives at the temple while the war is raging on in its final days. You know, just desperate. Just come on, come on, corn god, please. Come on, come on, war, war god. How many hearts do you need? How many hearts do you need before you help us? After several days of fighting, the few remaining leaders are far past weary, and they finally just surrender, try to negotiate with Cortez. August 13th, 1521, the, the remaining Aztecs just fucking beaten to shit, starved, dehydrated to surrender. And then within three years from, from this point, all of Mesoamerica would fall under Spanish control. Uh, Cortez demands that the gold lost in the La Noche Triste, the night, you know, the, when they tried to sneak out of the city earlier with their gold-laden men drowning. He demands all that be returned to them. And then their, their living new leader, uh, Quatemoc, he's tortured for days, ask where the gold is. They, at one point, they boil his feet in oil, and then he confesses to dumping a lot of it in the lake. <laughs> yeah, I bet he confessed. Boiled in oil. Uh, he, he fights for the release of some citizens, you know, uh, asking that Cortez let them leave the city, which I guess he does agree to, but then thousands of other citizens are slaughtered. Or no, th- excuse me, thousands of those citizens are slaughtered, though. He agrees but then his allies, the Tlaxcalas, they're like, I oh, know, we, we, we want them fucking dead. And so they just start slaughtering, you know, men, women, and children by the thousands to the point that his, his, uh, the Spaniards, you know, write in their accounts that it, like, it disgusted them. It was like, they were like, Jesus, like, we just kicked the shit out of these guys. But you guys, that's, you're taking it too far. Uh, rampant looting takes place in the city. Uh, in 1522, Holy Roman Emperor Charles V names Cortez, after all this, Captain General of New Spain. Just two years earlier, he's being tracked down for treason. Fights his own, fights his own countrymen. But now, now he's in charge of the land he's just conquered. Money talks. That's the lesson there, man. Money talks, doesn't it? Always has. Money has always made a lot of wrong suddenly seem very right, you know? Just think about that in your life. Somebody, you know, fucks somebody you know over big time, and then you're like, I'm going to kick the shit out of them. And then you show up and they're like, hey, I got a million dollars for you. Ah, ah, okay. I don't like what you did to Chuck, but... All right. Uh, Cortez oversees the construction of a new capital on top of the ruins of Tenochtitlan. Slave labor is used to dismantle the Aztec temples, repurpose the stones. And then 1523, Cortez is named governor of New Spain. February 1525, Cortez accuses uh, Cuauhtémoc, the the last remaining Aztec ruler, of of plotting to murder him. Who knows if it was actually true or not? Could have just said that just to to get him out out of the way and uh, end the empire officially for good. And he has him hanged. And he is hanged, he's dead, and the empire is now officially over. It's pretty much over before this, but now it's officially over. And uh, in February of 1525, we depart from today's Time Suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. All right. Sorry for the uh, stumbling over some of the words. Man, I, I looked them up. I practiced them. But uh, in the end, pretty damn tricky. And sorry if it, if it was a little muddy with some of the dates. I tried to streamline it the best to my ability in the time allotted. But it's uh, 
Yeah, it's, it's tough because there's so many historical discrepancies because, again, you're kind of patching this together from little accounts here and there, and they didn't, you know, it was a lot of rumor and hearsay and, yeah, a lot of uh, contradicting kind of sources. But that's the gist of it. That is the gist of it. Well, you've heard the gist of uh, what we think happened. Cortez took down the Aztec Empire in just a few years, conquered the rest of Mesoamerica in, 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 within the next three Uh before we leave today, let's elaborate a little bit more on how he was able to do that. Well, first of all, as you know, he was helped immensely by just happening to fulfill a religious prophecy. That's just, you know, you know, like if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, that's like you, you, you happen to roll a 20. You know, you weren't supposed to be able to kill the monster. You had, you had to roll a 20 on a 20-sided die, and you fucking throw the die out there. You know, there's only a 5% chance. You know, well, like this would be like if he had like a, a million-sided die and he needed a, a 100,391, and then he rolled it on his first try. So he got very lucky by happening to fulfill a religious prophecy. Rule number one of warfare, if you can, have your enemy think you are one of their gods, uh, their main god, if possible. Another huge factor was uh, being able to manipulate other rival tribes and empires to fight against the Aztecs. You know, the Tlaxcalas, uh, or as they're also called the Tlaxcaltecas, made victory possible by supplying Cortez with thousands and thousands of men. And Cortez was able to get them on his side by telling them thousands and thousands of lies. Yeah, no, I'll take care of you. Yeah, for sure. And then not really. Uh, another factor in the Spaniards' favor was the primitive weaponry and ritualized warfare of the opponents. This is huge. Aztec warriors, you know, they had padded cotton armor. You know, they would carry like wooden uh, or a reed shield covered in hide. They wielded weapons such as a super sharp, you know, obsidian sword club, you know, a spear or a dart thrower, bow and arrows. And those were very effective against, you know, the other people of the Americas, but they were next to useless against Spanish guns, crossbows. Steel swords, long pikes, cannons, and steel armor. Huge advantage in weapons. And, and uh, cavalry, you know. That was another devastating weapon in the hands of the Europeans. The Spanish, you know, they, they, did, they had horses. The Aztecs didn't. You know, they thought the horses were big deer. And uh, they, they had little deer that they weren't able to ride. So advantage, you know, advantage Spaniards. Uh, also, uh, certain Aztecs, uh, certain Aztec traditions that I kind of uh, mentioned earlier help the Spanish defeat them, such as how Aztec warriors and, and uh, oh wait, this is a different one, then I'll say the other one. This is another one that helped uh, the Spaniards win. The Aztec warriors and officers would wear these big costumes, like, uh, you know, spectacularly feathered, you know, animal skin costumes, headdresses, to signify their rank, which also made them very easy to find in battle. You know, it made them the prime target to dispatch as early as possible. They'd be like, all right, uh, okay, see that guy over there in the owl suit? Do you see him in the, in the leopard suit? They, they die first. And so they would kill the commanders early in battle, and then the Aztec units without leadership would, you know, devolve into a panic. And then also, uh, this is what I was mentioning earlier. The Aztecs, you know, they were used to a, a looser form of battle because their primary objective wasn't to kill. It was to capture. Their primary objective was to capture, you know, some enemy soldiers, take them alive, bring them back to be ritually sacrificed. And, and, their, and their warfare methods were highly ritualized, you know, to, to please the gods. There was precise moments for starting battle, the ending battle. It was almost like more of like a game, the way they would fight battle. That you had to follow certain rules. The Spaniards didn't. The Spaniards were like, no, man, do what you need to do to fuck these guys up and kill them. So that, so that just gave them a huge advantage strategically. Uh, sadly, when the war was over, what remained of the Aztec culture was obliterated. Its temples were defaced or destroyed, many of them. Uh, its fine art melted down into coins. And then Christian missionaries, you know, uh, start arriving in, in mass and burning their writings, uh, getting rid of their teachings, uh, and assimilating, you know, what little survivors remained into Western culture. 
or the, or the ones that you know uh, that made it to other kind of tribes and little mini empires and city states. Those would just you know marry into those cultures, which would then later also be assimilated into Christianity and Western culture. So you know while there are certainly still people alive today who have Aztec genetics, there there's no more quote unquote Aztec people. I'm I'm sure there are people who identify as Aztec, but there there just has not been cultural continuity over the years. The the culture, the empire was completely dismantled. And, uh, you know, and by the way, I know the Aztecs also never called themselves Aztecs. Uh, that name was invented by the Spanish. They called themselves Mexica. And again, there are many people living in and around Mexico City, for example, that are direct descendants of the Aztecs. But again, you know, it's been hundreds of years since there was any real cultural tie to the Aztec civilization. So pretty crazy, man. Pretty crazy. You know, they weren't given some kind of reservation or anything. They lost, they lost everything. They lost everything. And, and that is all I have for today about the Aztecs, except for today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Cortez arrived on the shores of present-day Mexico, February of 1519. At that time, the Aztecs, they were kicking ass, man. They were drinking chocolatey drinks, you know, living in a fancy city with zoos and restaurants and floating gardens. Shit ton of people were getting their hearts cut out by insane priests. And then by August of 1521, just a year and a half later, they're done, completely destroyed. What a very speedy demise. Almost all of their people dead and, and their culture obliterated in a year and a half. Number two, Cortez was an asshole. Uh, the Aztecs were happy to give him lots and lots of gold, but it wasn't enough. They, they even let him be the leader, you know, let him be a living God. Not enough. You had to take everything from him. Number three. The Aztecs' religion was super-duper fucked up, man. Cutting kids' hearts out to make the corn god happy. Drowning other kids to make the water god happy. It's too far, you guys. It's way too far. I'm against it. Number four, the Aztecs were one of many civilizations in Mesoamerica when Cortez showed up. And a few years after he did show up, all of them are gone. Smallpox plus no immunity to smallpox equals no bueno for locals. And number five, new info. Uh, modern historians actually don't believe, despite the legend of the Aztecs, that Tenochtitlan, the greatest city of uh, uh, Mesoamerica, the greatest of Mesoamerican mysteries, the Aztec capital was actually built by the Aztecs as they claim. Uh, Tenochtitlan, translated as the place where men become gods in the language of the Aztecs, likely found deserted by the Aztecs. It was, very, it was likely that uh, a lot of it was already built and it was found deserted by them in sometime in the 1300s, centuries after its abandonment. Uh, people now believe, you know, some, some smart people now believe that Tenochtitlan was likely settled as early as 400 BCE. And it was only around a, uh, 100 CE uh, in, an, in an era of robust population growth and increased urbanization of Mesoamerica that the metropolis as we know it with its wide boulevards and monumental pyra uh, pyramids was built. So centuries, centuries, centuries before the Aztec, they think it might have uh, already been there. Um, as many as 200,000 people may have lived there by 400 CE. That's crazy. So when we talked at the beginning of the episode about how there was just a lot going on in America, just like there was in Europe and Asia Minor and Egypt, et cetera, in ancient times, there, there may have been even, uh, even more than we understood before today going on in the Americas. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right, the Aztec Empire has been sucked. Whew, it's a tricky one. I'm sweaty. I'm literally sweaty now. 
Uh, you know, I was trying to power through that one. Get in my mouth, Montezuma. Get in my mouth, evil corn god. Get in there, dickhead Cortez. Uh, hope that was a satisfying suck. Um, yeah, man, that was a very interesting story for me because I've, I've always, I don't know if it's just, uh, maybe we, everyone in the United States learns about the Aztecs and stuff a little bit as a kid. I don't know if it's more in the West. I remember as a kid, uh, you know, seeing some, some Pueblos and I know this is not Aztec, but, uh, you know, it could have been a derivative culture there. Some stone Pueblos in, uh, Arizona and actually getting to climb inside of them, which is probably illegal, but my dad didn't care about laws like that. And, uh, ever since then been fascinated with, you know, Southwestern Mesoamerican, South American, ancient cultures. I'm sure someday we'll do it when an in, in Inca suck as well. And, uh, and I'm sure some other sucks in, in, uh, you know, South America and Central and Central America. Not sure who the good guy was in today's story, man, man, a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of bad guys, or I guess just products of their time. Maybe, I don't know, man, crazy times. I just, I can't get over the sacrifice and I just can't get over the disregard that the Spaniards had for indigenous people. Uh, big thanks to the Time Suck team, Harmony Camp, Jesse Dobner, Reverend Dr. Josh Krell, Alex Dugan, the Bitelixer team, beta testing right now, working on improving the app, improving the website, Danger Brain, Eric Radiker, Queen of the Suck, Lindsay Cummins. Uh, huge thanks to OJ, uh, OG, excuse me, Bojangles research team member, OG family member, Donna Hale. Who knew my tag along little sis would turn out to be good at providing amazing research? She's actually very smart. No one in the family saw that coming. Uh, no, love you, Donna. Um, Time Sucker private face, uh, Facebook group that's been getting more and more popular. People seem to really be enjoying that. We talk about it a lot on the Secret Suck. Uh, if, if you want in, I'm going to be providing a link in today's episode description. You just got to answer a question or two about the show that I promise you'll get right if you've listened to more than two episodes. And, uh, and then you're in. It's a community where people, you know, uh, line up little kind of, you know, meetings. People are, people are meeting each other and playing games now from that. People are forming new friendships. There's, uh, I think, some relationships that are formed out of that. So, so you get in there if you want to get in the private Facebook group. Uh, we go dark with the Donner Party next week. Yeah, May of 1846. Wagon train full of American pioneers with names that will be easier to pronounce than this week. Yes. They head west to start new lives. They follow a new route called Hastings Cutoff, which was supposed to take time off of their four- to six-month journey uh, it didn't. Backfired. In November, they get stuck in heavy snow trying to get over the Sierra Nevada mountain range about four months later when a rescue party finally reaches them. Uh, about half of the 87 travelers are dead. And many of the living, many of the living, uh, excuse me, are only alive because they had been eating the dead. So more eating the dead. That wasn't intentional. That's a space lizard voted in topic. We had human sacrifice and uh, wearing some skin <laughs> this week. And we have eating people next week. Uh, we, got a, we got a cannibalism theme for some reason. Uh, I don't remember ever uh, having a cannibalism option pop up when I used to play Oregon Trail as a kid on my Commodore 64. That would have been an interesting choice. What if someone could have hacked that in there? You know, you get you, all of a sudden it's like, you know, your wagon train stops. Like, would you like to take a shot at fellow traveler? And if, you know, like if you press the space bar to hit him just right, then you get uh, your health increases for eating one of your buddies. Anyway, we're going to explore their journey. And I'm sure what life was like. For the average American who took off to make a new life in their frontier of the American West. How, how, do we get over, how do we get over here? How do we get over to the West back then? I'm excited for it. And I'm excited now for some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. A funny update came in this week from uh, Time Sucker Kevin. And uh, I apologize. I'm probably going to butcher your last name. Guy Tavai? Guyet? Guyetvai? Guyetvai? G-Y-E-T-V-A-I. I've never seen that one before. This really cracked me up. So Kevin, Kevin, I got your first name right. Give me credit there. D 
Dear Master, Kevin Ryan, <laughs> this story should make you laugh. It did. I was listening to your podcast at work on Bluetooth headphones, and I went to grab a box, and all of a sudden, it just stopped playing. Thinking I had lost signal from Bluetooth, I walked back to my station, but it wasn't my signal. Uh, the headphones had just died. So when I hit play again on full volume out of my phone, everyone around me heard, I'm going to have to suck them guys soon too. Suck them so hard. They deserve a good suck. <laughs> so blank faces and awkward looks right away. I just kind of froze up. But I didn't know what to say at first. <laughs> ah! Then I tried to explain it was a, just a funny podcast. But the, the rough warehouse crew I work with wasn't having it. Started in on jokes right away on break. I am never going to hear the end of this. I am now uh, open to gay jokes till the end of time. Laugh my ass off. Uh, you should suck the history of weed from earliest evidence to the ban in the 30s to now. Thank you, Kevin. Your story did make me laugh. Uh, thanks for sending it, sending it in. Yeah, the history of weed would be great suck. And yeah, that's, that's a, it, it just doesn't make sense. I get it when you try to explain like, no, I, no, no. It's about history of, no, it's just, uh, it, no, it's a podcast. Yeah. When, when you just hear that out of context, it's like, oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Just come on, dude. Come out. It's 2018. You know, we're, we're accepting. You don't have to just listen to all your suckery in private. Another quick funny one from Shane Bartlett. This is a very quick one. It cracked me up. Uh, say, <laughs> Shane says, hey, Suckmaster. Every time I get in the car with my son, who is three, he screams out, time suck. That's adorable. He loves it, and it drives my wife insane. So it's a win-win. Keep on sucking. Win-win, Shane. Uh, you're raising a smart boy who's destined to have a super fucked up sense of humor now. I, I love it. I love that it drives your wife crazy. And now a paranormal update and more from Time Sucker Luann Nyborg. Uh, Luann says, Hail Nimrod, Reverend Dr. Dan. I discovered your podcast when you last visited Tampa and have been binging ever since. I'm a dedicated space lizard and I'm finally catching up. Oh, thank you. Finally catching up so, uh, on both the Secret Suck as well as the regular episodes. Buckle up, Buttercup. Been saving up a few things. LOL. First, you're a, mu you're a mush mouth and I'm loving it. Oh, thank God. Because it stresses me the fuck out. Uh, I end up uh, laughing in my car while you are saving the drivers around me from my road ragey tendencies. I have an hour drive, mostly at under 35 miles per hour on a fucking freeway, and you have become my entertainment and companion. Yes. Uh, next, you asked for paranormal stories, and this sticks out. When my daughter was five or six, oh, these stories always creep me out, getting ready for goosebumps. She let me know that, quote, grandma said it's going to be okay. Couple things about this. I was stressed and struggling since my hubby traveled a lot of the time. Neither my mom or mother-in-law were referred to as grandma. They are, uh, you know, uh, were Nana and Oma, Dutch for grandma, respectively. When I asked her to describe grandma, she described my grandmother who had passed on when I was seven. And I had no pictures of her in my house anywhere. Oh, shit. Now I got goosebumps. Nah, the goosebumps were here. I am convinced I am haunted by her. Of course, my daughter and I have her middle name, so there's a deeper connection as well as a story for another time. Woo! Uh, also, I just finished your Secret Psych episode 14. I think the psychic uh, you're talking about was Michio Kaku. Yeah, mm-hmm. Respected. It was. Finally, planning on dragging my family to your August show in Tampa. Would love to see a priestess of Lucifina Vestal Anti-Virgin t-shirt available. <laughs> well, we will get some Lucifina stuff here eventually. We're, we're talking about that now. Uh, yeah, it just takes a little bit for this stuff to develop. But yes, thank you. Sorry for the lengthy message. No, don't be sorry. I've been saving up. Hey, Lucifina, space lizard and dedicated member of the cult of the curious Luann. I love the 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 bonding with uh, Lucifina that a lot of the the lady suckers have been have been doing. Uh, yeah, I like it. I like that we have uh, one of each. Two crazy gods. 
Nimrod and Lucifina, they're both both bananas. Thanks, Luann. See you in Tampa. Last one, an interesting satanic update from Jonathan Kyle, Time Sucker. Says, Dear Suckmaster, the Supreme and Herald of Bojangles, and Prophet of Nimrod, Hail Nimrod, I write to you today to give praise for Time Suck and the amount of knowledge on the weird and curious I've gained, and to complain slash educate you on my religion. That's fair. That's fair. After listening to the Elisa Lamb Time Suck, you brought up Richard Ramirez and Satanism. And while you were correct in one definition of Satanism, you also discredited another that's been practiced uh, for for centuries, and that would be theistic Satanists who actually worship Satan and do Satanic rituals. Okay. I do apologize for how long this email is, and I hope I'm not taking up too much of your time or annoying you. Nope. I just thought I'd spread light of the plight of every theistical Satanist, excuse me, who are told they're not true Satanists because they worship Satan. When Anton LaVey stole our religion's name and religious symbols, I hope this was enlightening and makes you curious to do some research on one of the most misunderstood religions of the world. Hail Nimrod uh, and have an amazing day. (laughs) P.S. I'm not one of those nut jobs like Ramirez who murders and rapes animals and people for Satan. My sect has strict rules against that. That's that's good. Unless it's in self-defense. And I'm assuming you mean just the murder. That'd be weird to rape in self-defense. But I I, I know you're not to rape an animal in self-defense. I didn't want to rape the dog, but the dog was coming for me. And, you know, shit got weird. No. Uh, and even then it comes with severe punishment. Uh, yes, Jonathan, thank you. That's very interesting. And you know what? Yes, I and probably most people in our culture do have a tendency to be pretty quickly dismissive of Satanism <laughs> without knowing really anything about it. And I'll admit, I, I, I've made fun of it a lot. And to be totally honest, I do not know much about it. I, I do know there's various versions. The one you're speaking of, I don't know anything really about it. I guess I always assumed that it was, which is, you know, pretty evil. You don't, you don't, you didn't write really an evil email. So I don't know why. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I do want to look into that. I have wanted to do Anton LaVey one of these days. And that I feel like a suck on LaVey and Satan would just, would lead organically into an exploration of the various versions of the religion you speak of. Yes. So one day we will suck it. Thank you everyone for sending in your updates. Sorry if yours didn't make the show. We, we get a lot, which I'm so thankful for. And we, we appreciate the time and effort everyone makes to send them our way. You're wonderful. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. That's all for today, time suckers. Have a wonderful week. Do not sacrifice any kids to the corn god, even if you're going to get the sweetest, tastiest, juiciest corn you've ever had. And keep on sucking. <laughs> Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.